0: Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to The Astrology Podcast. This is episode 278, and joining me today is Lisa Scheim, and we're going to be doing a post-election analysis of the 2020 US presidential uh, election with some reflections about the astrology, some of the predictions that were made, and how things have turned out so far. So today is Tuesday, November 10th, 2020, Mm -hmm. starting at uh, 2.28 p.m. in Denver, Colorado, or 2.26 p.m. in Denver, Colorado with Pisces Rising. Mm -hmm. Uh, 278th episode of the show. Thanks for joining me today. You're welcome. It's Tuesday, so that means it's exactly a week now since Election Day.
1: Yes, what a long week it was.
0: Yes, it's been a super long, super exhausting week for everybody in the country and to a certain extent around the world. But now that things have started to Sort of shake out a little bit, and the outcome is starting to become clear over the past few days. I think it's okay to start looking at um, some of the factors and the astrological factors that were going on and what uh, made sense in retrospect, what ended up working out versus what things didn't end up working out as much.
1: Mm-hmm, definitely. And of course, we have a couple months to go in terms of the transition and inauguration and everything, but we figured that right now is kind of timely in terms of people still thinking a lot about this right now.
0: Yeah, so one of my things with the astrology podcast has always been to um capture and to talk about current events that are happening in the astrological community and things that are happening as they happen and as we're observing them as astrologers, um especially things like, you know, the Mercury retrograde that just happened and the major delays in determining the outcome of the election where it wasn't determined on election night. Just like it was 20 years ago when Mercury went retrograde for the 2000 election. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's important. And even though this is kind of a delicate topic or delicate area getting into politics and it's something that I've shied away from a bit over the past several years, I wanted to talk about it now just because there's some really interesting astrology that's happened. And I'd like to capture some of those things while it's still fresh to sort of pass it on as part of the collective wisdom of the tradition from our time period to, you know, whoever's watching this now or to whatever future generations that becomes useful as an astrological observation too.
1: Mm Mhm. Yeah, so what interesting astrology going on and also, um, you know, capturing what the astrology community is looking like around these particular events, because that's kind of an interesting thing to capture as well historically.
0: Yeah, historically and like sociologically and everything else. Mm Mhm. All right, so um, let's get right into that. This is our little electional chart for starting today, just barely catching Pisces rising. Mm -hmm. Um, All right, so here's the calendar for those watching the video version that we show on the month ahead forecasts. And this is the major astrological transits for November of 2020. And the main thing at the very top of the month, of course, was that Mercury Station Direct On election day, which means meant that it was ending its long three three week long retrograde period through the sign of early Scorpio, and then it stationed direct in Libra, and it stationed direct square to Saturn, and -hmm. that was the main thing that Austin and Kelly and I focused on in the sort of month ahead of forecast, and that most astrologers focused on, because what you get with that then is basically two indications for slowness or delays. Right, You get the sort of Mercury retrograde or Mercury stationary piece where Mercury literally slows down in the sky and stops moving for a period of time while it's changing directions. So there's this notion of it not moving forward or backwards but being very slow or starting to move forward again but doing so very slowly. Right. So, there's that piece, and then there's also the Mercury square Saturn piece. And one of the primary indications of Saturn is like slowness, sluggishness, and delays.
1: Right. Yeah, definitely both of those. And I think a lot of astrologers had been looking at both of those pieces ahead of time. This is one thing that I think most astrologers got right, which is we won't know the results immediately. And you right, the things will take time to, mm-hmm. to shake out. And I think one of the things when I was looking at that with the Mercury station after it had been retrograde up to the all the way up until Election Day was that can indicate not just slowness, but also things, um, you know, once you start counting everything, things like looking like they might be changing direction through mm. the process, which I think played out as well.
0: Yeah, um, like re- reversals. Re-
1: reversals, yeah. And then the square to Saturn is really not just slowness, which it definitely is, and I think that's why it was a pretty easy call for many astrologers to be like, this this will take some time to know the final result. But also, it means kind of painstaking counting, you know? Like Saturn and Mercury, it's like painstaking thoughts, painstaking bits of information, you know, really making sure you do it right, which can take time rather than be quick.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And, then, and both of those are also kind of Mercury situations, Mercury significations, or um, repeated significations of both Mercury and Saturn, where Mercury mm-hmm. is like looking at small things and looking at details, like the Virgo sort of archetype. And then there's Saturn, which also can be. Uh, have a highly critical feature of like looking at things finally and rejecting or accepting things
1: mhm and being really kind of responsible about being careful about it
0: right but that that requiring like slowness and time mm-hmm. and deliberateness yeah exactly so what ended up happening with that of course was well there were a couple of things and, and so that's important in and of itself because one of the things is like um a lot of people in the media were already saying and speculating that this was going to take time and there was Mm going to be delays in this election, especially due to the pandemic and especially due to people using more mail-in voting as a result of the pandemic and not wanting to gather together in lines or or congregating really super close together for fear of spreading the virus or getting sick. Mm -hmm. So the the additional emphasis on mail-in voting as well as the higher expected turnout was already just practically speaking expected to coincide with potential delays and people were warning of that ahead of time but the thing is like astrologers have been talking about this i think before even then because mm-hmm. astrologers had noticed a long time ago that mercury was going to station direct on election day on november 3rd right and we all knew that the last time that that happened famously was in uh, the year 2000 mm-hmm. when the election got split evenly between bush and gore and it came down to florida which was so close that they had to start doing a recount. And it took something like six weeks or something. It wasn't until December 12th that eventually the Supreme Court made a ruling and stopped the recount which effectively then gave the election to bush mm-hmm. at that point right. but up till that point the election was un- unclear
1: right right so a lot of astrologers were wondering exactly how slow will this be will it be like that again will it be like 2000 at the very least it will be delayed results and i think that's played out in interesting ways so far actually i mean not just the obvious which is that it took you know close to a week to call it by mm. by the ap which only calls it when they feel really sure of you know the projected results that there's like no mathematical way that it's going to catch up mm-hmm. um and that's part of why it took so much time because i think they were even being extra careful this year um so that took you know close to a week but we also have the other pieces um that i i thought were interesting in terms of you know everyone's focused on the presed- presidential race so much which you know for good reason but um we all vote on Congress and you know the House, the Senate seats and president all in one ballot.
0: Yeah, the three well, two of the branches of government, I guess technically. Right,
1: exactly. And so even though we know the the president elect at this point and the vice president elect, um we won't know the Senate until January because two of them were too close in Georgia, and so they're gonna be two runoff seats. So I thought that was actually an interesting piece because there is actually a practical delay there too, and it's from the same ballot. And in many ways, even though the president was what people were most focused on, um, it's kind of part and parcel in some ways in terms of people really seeing who won this election in terms of what's possible to do after that.
0: Yeah. yeah. so one of the things is like a homework assignment. I haven't fully done this yet. I mean, I remember in my the back of my memory, astrologers starting to talk about this over the past couple of years, like talking starting to talk generally. I remember like Maurice Fernandez published an article a few years ago about like how crazy the astrology in twenty twenty was going to be. And there was astrologers definitely several years ago, like 2017, 2016 maybe, that started talking about astrology being crazy this year, mm-hmm. but also some astrologers starting to notice that Mercury is going to station retrograde on election day like it did in 2000 and expecting a repeat of that. So I'd like people to go out and research and I'd like to get a list of what are some of the early earliest references that people can find or that we can find to astrologers starting to talk about Mercury retrograde happening on election day in 2020 Mm -hmm. and that being a potential for a repeat of 2000 or for a potential for some sort of delays in the outcome of the election process. Because I Mm -hmm. think that would be really interesting, especially if you could find references from prior to um, March, basically prior to when the pandemic really hit the US Mm -hmm. because that's one of the primary things that started making the media talk about that there would be delays. But um, I know there were astrologers discussing it even before then.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and part of the practical reason, right, that there were delays, in addition to how many mail-in ballots were being used this year because of the pandemic, were you know when they could get counted at different states, when they were allowed to, right?
0: Yeah, so there was a push. I mean, that's a whole that's a whole thing, and gets into a whole political thing about. Um, so let's mention the, the states that it came down to, because sort of what mm-hmm. happened in just recounting the sequence of events was like we were all up that night, mm. super late, and. um the early t- returns came in for some states and it was many of them were tr- some of them were the swing states were trending for trump mm-hmm. and he was up because um all year he had been sort of railing against mail in ballots and telling his f- his followers not to use them and encouraging people to vote in person basically mm-hmm. and so a bunch of the votes that were tallied in many of those states were the in person votes were tallied first And many of the states um, had rules on the books where they couldn't start counting mail-in ballots until the day of the election, Mm -hmm. which led to a delay in starting to count the mail-in ballots, which tended to trend for Biden because he had been encouraging people to use mail-in ballots and hadn't been discouraging his followers to do so. So they tended to be more in favor of Biden in the mail-in ballots.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think this is important to know because in terms of that mercury stationing direct and looking at an expected sort of turn in the events. Um you know this was also expected in terms of the practicalities and this was actually being widely reported on for a couple of weeks at least by the news which is you know that this is going to be what it looks like election night and then it may go differently after that and this is why. Mm-hmm. So um, right. so that's an important piece. Yeah um,
0: because now that's being used as like a there's like a conspiracy theory that somehow there was something ro- off about that or that the mail-in ballots were fraudulent or something like that. But the way that it actually went was pretty expected just because in some instances, for example, it was Republican um, legislators that had pushed to not allow the states to start counting those ballots ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of not right then if they stop those ballots from being counted ahead of time so that they only could be counted afterwards. So there, some of those votes for Biden would naturally only be counted after the initial ones for Trump. Mm-hmm. To then say that that's somehow fraudulent is kind of sketchy.
1: Yeah, for sure. And there were some states because of the pandemic, because it was kind of an unprecedented year this year, um, did change their rules in regards to like being able to count them early in order to have results on elections nights. But there were right. a few states that did not.
0: Yeah, and some of those came down to the states that started to matter, where it was mm-hmm. close, yeah. and where it became important. So the two primary ones were Georgia and Pennsylvania. Yeah, that it really came down to in the end.
1: Or that was when it was turning, um, and that was actually really fun to watch. I actually stayed up late for that. Um, mm. It wasn't election night anymore. Um, but it well, was that,
0: that was a few nights later.
1: Right, exactly. It was a few nights. We stayed up late on election night as well.
0: So let's give the sequence though, like in roughly chronological order. So sure. election night happened November third. Um, it was undecided, so the, the the result wasn't clear. As And there were a few states that were up, still up for grabs mm-hmm. after that night. And then thus began just this excruciating week of everybody waiting and everything being up in the air and the votes being tallied in some of those swing states. But it was taking an excruciatingly like long time, I think, for everybody mm-hmm. to find out the outcome. And one of the things that was happening all that week that we noted in the forecast was that Mercury Um, was applying to a square with Saturn still for like, what, three days? Mm
1: -hmm. Something like that, yeah.
0: Here, I'll pull up the chart so we can actually look at it, but go ahead. and.
1: Yeah, so Mercury was applying to square Saturn after it had stationed direct. It stationed direct very closely square Saturn, but it was still applying after that.
0: Yeah, so here's election day, let's say around the middle of the day. Mercury stationing direct at 2553 Libra. And Saturn is at 26, 22 Capricorn. So they're pretty closely square. They're about, what, a, a degree off?
1: Mm, yeah, about a half a degree, really.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. About half a degree. Mm-hmm. So they're not very far off at all. But because Mercury's changing directions, it basically just sits at that degree initially for a little bit. So the following day, on November 4th, we can see Mercury's at 26, it's moving forward again and it's at 26,01 Libra. Mm-hmm. That on November 4th. And then at the next day, Mercury set 2619 Libra. So it's still short of Saturn, which is at 2629 Capricorn, but mm-hmm. it's starting to pick up a little bit of speed. Right. And was it that night?
1: Uh, it must have been that night. Let's advance it one more day.
0: I'll advance it by hours because it was like it's early. Been,
1: it's been a long week. So it's kind of blurred together at this point.
0: <laughs> so this is the night where you stayed up late because you were waiting to see if things broke finally when Mercury. Um, completed its square with Saturn.
1: Exactly, which was going to be around approximately 4 a.m. Eastern time that morning. And so that was 2 a.m. here. So it was a little bit more reasonable. Um, so I was waiting to see when the square went exact and then, <clears throat> excuse me, barely started separating if there would be a change at that point. Um, and there was. That was actually when. Georgia was called about 20 minutes later. It started being reported in the news. So honestly, since it was being reported in the news about 20, 25 minutes later, it probably was like right at that square, you know, when it when the result came in, which was that Biden started being ahead in Georgia when they were still tabulating some of the mail-in votes.
0: Yeah. So here it is. So it's like two in the morning, two thirty in the morning here in Mercury, exactly square Saturn from 2631 Libra to 2631 Capricorn and then you said it was right after that that the news came out and basically mm-hmm. what happened is just that in Georgia they um continued and they started catching up with tallying the votes mm-hmm. um especially in some of the counties uh, the mail-in votes from counties that were favoring Biden mm-hmm. and then the so so places like um Philadelphia. Well, yeah, Yeah, I'm forgetting the county name actually. Atlanta or something.
1: Yeah, it was around Atlanta or the Atlanta suburbs, but I'm forgetting the county name right now. But either way, there were a couple counties that really came in for Biden around that night, and it was between like that time, and then I went to bed, and uh, but between then and when I woke up again, that that Pennsylvania also did the same thing.
0: Okay, so yeah, right. So it was like the next day after that, which was now what November sixth. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I don't know what time that was, but you know, it was really like quite close to just after it started separating.
0: Yeah, it was like an hour it was after that I, morning. An hour after I got up, I saw that as mm. well. That both Georgia and Pennsylvania, the votes had caught up enough that now Biden was leading, and leading by increasingly large amounts, so that it was going to be not possible for Trump to. For it to switch again, basically.
1: Mm-hmm. And just as a an aside, astrologically, it can be fun to watch these aspects go exact, like in whatever context you're looking at. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, you might want to just actually like deliberately do that sometime and see what happens when it goes exact.
0: Yeah, it's this has been a really great les- lesson in like the dynamic, sort of flowing nature of astrology. Seeing those aspects be relevant in a static sense on election day with Mercury, you know, stationary squaring Saturn, but then that aspect and its perfection uh between the two, the square actually something materializing, but also feeling that buildup. It's like mm-hmm. we really felt what what it was like that week to have an applying aspect right. versus like a separating aspect where there's like an exhale and it's like, okay, like the the outcome is now known or mm-hmm. or something has broken free. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, that happened. And then not too long after that, it's like there were other states as well where the votes caught up in like Nevada and Arizona. Mm-hmm. And then Biden was also ahead. And then it was basically called, the press started calling it, I think, a day or so later.
1: hmm It was um, when the Moon went into Leo.
0: <laughs> right, yeah, because the Moon was going through cancer. And yeah. it was like, squaring and opposing all of the cardinal stuff.
1: Well, That was actually really funny because that night, it looked practically speaking like there was no way for the result to change. And everybody was like, why are they not calling it? And the Moon was flying to the opposition with Saturn that night. And I thought that was really funny because again, delays, right? Or being extra cautious.
0: Yeah, people started complaining that the media hadn't called it even though Biden was so far ahead in the votes that it became mathematically impossible for Trump to win. But the Media was trying to exercise it, like um,
1: additional caution. Yeah, lots yeah. of caution, mm-hmm. which is a Saturn thing, as well as additional delays. So, yeah, and I was actually thinking they might call it the next day when the moon was in Leo, because that's much more celebratory, and also it's not tied up at Saturn at that point.
0: Yeah. So here's the chart for that. The moon switches into Leo, November seventh, and then he's so Biden's so far ahead, in all the swing states that it's clear that he has enough electoral votes, and he's he's going to win the presidency,
1: electoral and popular.
0: Yeah. Should so, say. so he was ahead by what, like 4 million popular vote? I
1: don't remember that number.
0: Okay. Yep. But the Moon went into Leo and then the election was called. Mm-hmm. So that was an interesting astrology lesson. I guess that's our Mercury retrograde lesson um, that sometimes one of the things that Mercury does is when it hits that that turning point, that when it does that U-turn where it starts moving from retrograde to direct or from direct to retrograde, that U-turn coincides with a period of not moving. Mm-hmm. And Mercury is the fastest of the visible planets besides the Moon. So when the when Mercury doesn't move, sometimes one of the issues with Mercury retrogrades is that things grind to a halt. Right and that can be problematic, especially if you're hoping for like a quick answer to something.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was a great example. Um, so we will be looking for the rest of the results going forward. I mean, I think it's a little bit notable that um, there's been delays as well in terms of um, allowing the transition to go forward because I think that's also maybe a piece of the Mercury-Saturn being t- so tied up in the election day.
0: Right. So so Trump is refusing to concede. And now that's weird because that's not really happened before. And um, it's causing some delays in the transition. And he's claiming that it was stolen and then starting a bunch of conspiracy theories, but he hasn't really proven or provided much evidence. So he's not mm-hmm. getting very far so far in court with any of those claims. Yeah,
1: there's been 9 or 10 suits that have just been thrown out for like lack of evidence or standing or different things.
0: Right, because it's one thing to like claim that it was stolen, but it's another thing to actually like have some evidence that that was the case. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see later this month. You know, there's a couple, some other Mercury stuff coming up. Like we have the final, we had two Mercury Uranus oppositions, and we've got one more Mercury Uranus opposition come up. Mm -hmm. Also today, Mercury is about to go into Scorpio, Mm which will be a shift, and we still have Mercury to get out of its shadow period mid month.
1: So it's gonna be mid-November that it gets out of shadow.
0: Yeah, so it looks like at about 10 10 degrees, 10 or 11 degrees is where it's stationed retrograde in Scorpio. So once mm-hmm. it hits that point again, around the 18th, 19th of November, it'll finally be free.
1: Right. And both of those are inter- important turning points because as Mercury goes into Scorpio, I actually think within about an hour here um, as we're recording, then that frees it from the sign-based um, square to Saturn. Mm. um, and then, of course, once it clears its shadow, it basically means symbolically it's starting to tread new ground rather than going over what we've already gone over before, right. So that, in particular, should be important, I think mid-november. So, um yeah, and a bunch of other active astrology going on between now and inauguration, particularly this week,
0: yeah. So this week we've got is that I, I guess that is where we we have to we have to mention at this point. So, Um, Here's the calendar again, Mercury into Scorpio on the 10th, but the Jupiter-Pluto, the third and final of the three Jupiter-Pluto conjunctions is coming up on Thursday. Mm -hmm. And then um, right after that, almost simultaneously, Mars is stationing direct in Aries, ending Mm -hmm. its retrograde period on Friday the 13th. -hmm. So those are huge. There's two major things coinciding with it, and I kind of anticipated that and talked about it in the last forecast episode, and it's coming startlingly unfortunately true at this point. So one of the things that's happening is the COVID numbers all over the US are shooting up again. Mm -hmm. So I had Kyle from ArchetypalExplorer.com who does an amazing astrology program that has these great visuals. He plotted the three Jupiter-Pluto conjunctions for me and their exactness on a graph. And then he plotted the um, COVID test cases, the daily um, positive test cases for COVID against a graph and this is current as of I think the past couple of days. And we can see the first two waves of COVID in the US kind of coincided with and tended to hit their high points just after the the two earlier Jupiter-Pluto conjunctions. And right now, we are on track for the third major wave which has already surpassed the previous two in terms of diagnosed cases, I guess. Um, Looks like it's about to coincide with the third exact Jupiter-Pluto conjunction.
1: Yeah. And this is a really striking comparison. I think visually, everyone who's looked at this has been like, wow. Right. Um, you know, in, in general, and also because astrology is often qualitatively true, but not always something that you can, you know, prove quantitatively. Although some people get into trying to do that. Mm. This is actually like pretty quantitative, you know, pretty yeah. quantitative correlating pretty exactly.
0: Yeah. So um, it is, and it's. You know, part of why people started looking into this was because of the nineteen eighteen flu pandemic. There was a really interesting correlation with the Jupiter Pluto conjunction there, especially with the mutation, which made the flu more deadly and then led to a second wave of it. And mm-hmm. that coincided with a second near conjunction of Jupiter and Pluto when the majority of the deaths took place. Um, yeah, so this is kind of um tricky and kind of problematic. Problematic. Just to talk about.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's well, it's been bizarre living through it. I mean, you know, Jupiter, Pluto, I'm part of, of course, with any of these two planets coming together, you can come up with lots of different specific possible manifestations. But this is like big death, honestly. Like Jupiter is expansive, and Pluto can be about those kind of dark archetypes. Mm.
0: Yeah, potentially. There's, I mean, there's that. There's another piece of the Jupiter-Pluto I want to talk about in a minute. Mm. Um, But in terms of the COVID things, um, we'll have to keep tracking it and see how high it goes. Basically, because one of the things that bothers me is that the second wave, the the peak in the cases, was actually slightly after the exact Jupiter-Pluto conjunction. So if we're we're before that right now and it's mm-hmm. already this high, then the question is like, how high does it ultimately end up going?
1: Yeah. That doesn't Um, look good for this fall winter, which, you know, epidemiologists have also been saying, of course.
0: Yeah, which is another thing. It's like that they've been saying this, but it's like here with the astrology, there's this thing objectively that's occurring and that was set to occur before anybody practically started speaking or anticipating that from the perspective of knowing about the virus. For sure. Um, The other thing is that one of the rules sometimes in astrology when you get a transit where there's three hits is i feel like astrologers generally have a working rule that oftentimes the third hit is that the third and final hit is the most important one and while that's not always the case i feel like that is a general rule that i've seen in practice and that i feel like most astrologers if you put that to them as a question that the third hit is often the most important and lasting sort of final one and memorable one that they would tend to say that that's true. Do you feel like that's the case?
1: I feel like sometimes. I mean, sometimes that is the case because it's, and this is the way I think people often speak about it, as though like the message is finally, finally getting through because the, right. you know, it's first introduced with the first aspect and then you're like, oh, this is an issue. And then the second aspect is like, oh, this is definitely something. And then the third is like, okay, I have to do something about this or something like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, and that's what I meant about it in that sense that oftentimes the third one becomes. The most pivotal in terms of there being a final change in something or a, or a lesson that was learned or or doing something differently, and then hopefully moving on from it at that point. Hmm. Um, but I think again, you're just talking about like quantitative versus qualitative research, and I think this could be an example of that that could be useful to learn from in retrospect in terms of how to describe and map out the uh, the notion of those things coming in threes mm-hmm. being a relevant thing in astrology.
1: Yeah, right. I agree.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, so last thing, everybody already always asks about like other countries. Mm-hmm. The problem with the graph and other countries and whether they say whether it applies either to other countries or to worldwide. Problem with other countries is I think part of what's happening here and the reason this is so t- closely tied into the US is it's probably partially because it's tied into and how it's hitting something in the US birth chart itself, like maybe the Sibley chart. Um, you yeah. sh- you're shaking your head. Yes, yeah. I v- mean, vigorously.
1: Well, <laughs> yeah, because of the Pluto return is really what I've been thinking about. Although it's hitting other planets first, but they're very close together, mm. so it's been hitting Mercury this year in the U.S. chart. Um, right, but- which was
0: initially talked about a lot of all of the messing up and the attempted uh, destabilization of the post office or dismantling mm-hmm, and the piece. attempts to slow down. Things with the post office ahead of time on right. the part of the Trump administration.
1: Yeah, that's definitely one piece. Um, yeah, so but but in the U.S. chart, regardless of what time you use, as long as you're using that date, um, I mean, I do favor the Sibley chart, although I can't swear to it because I haven't concentrated. I feel like you know thoroughly enough to like to swear more strongly about it, but um but it does seem to match up with some things. Anyway, regardless of the time of day, that day there was a Mercury Pluto opposition. So Pluto's at twenty seven. Um Mercury is do you have the US chart there we can show?
0: I believe I do have the Sibley chart okay. somewhere. Let me see if I can find it.
1: Yeah. So it's been um Pluto got up to almost 25 this year transiting Pluto did and so it's been hitting off that Mercury Pluto opposition we're so close though you know i mean aspects are not just when they're exact and especially when it's large scale like a country and so we've been in the process of the Pluto return of the US for the past you know several years i would say um and anyway so i think that's that was why i was nodding vigorously because that's part of why i think it's hitting uh, the U.S. so much more strongly, you know, so much, so many more deaths and so forth. You know, you can look practically speaking to policy or lack thereof nationally, but you know that ties into the U.S. Pluto return, which can be breakdown of, you know, authority and um, uh, fights against you know democracy versus monarchy. You know, was back in the beginning of the country, and this has sort of been another wave of that. You know, do we are we keeping a democracy or are we you know going sort of strongman rule? And that can be a Pluto thing. So anyway, here's um, the
0: the birth chart of the u s, at okay, least the good. Sibley chart, which I'm becoming increasingly impressed by this year, despite if you go back and listen to the episode I did with Nina on the birth chart of the u s, we started out very skeptical about, but i've I'm coming around, let's say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. yeah, so there's the Mercury, which is at twenty four uh, cancer. And is also retrograde, which is kind of funny. Mm. In the US chart, it looks like it's like six days away from stationing. Um, and there's Pluto at twenty-seven degrees of Capricorn.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's really tied into that. And I think that's part of why it's hit the US so strongly.
0: Okay. So that's part of it is like different countries are gonna have different birth charts. And so the way that this current Jupiter-Pluto transit interacts with their birth chart is gonna be different in different ways in terms of the astrology. Mm. Also, there's probably something to be said for like the way the Jupiter Pluto conjunction is interacting with Trump's chart um, or the Trump administration as a whole, since their mismanagement of it is part of the reason why these peaks are coinciding. These waves are coinciding so well and are getting so big hmm. just because of the slowness and the sort of failure to address it, as well as politicizing like wearing masks because if mask wearing was mandated or is more, acceptable socially and not like a political thing where people were fighting against it then we wouldn't see the covid cases being as high necessarily. Mm-hmm. So that's also a potential issue.
1: Exactly. And it's interesting you're mentioning interacting with Trump's chart because there's a a saying about, you know, that the chart of the leader can sometimes the national leader can sometimes act as the country's chart right. in some ways. Exactly. And all of this Capricorn stuff, the eclipses and Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto, all of that has been in his 6th house, which can be illness.
0: Yeah, it's falling in his sixth house of illness. Yeah. And yeah. that, of course, famously just a few months ago coincided with him when Saturn itself stationed in Capricorn mm. um, him getting sick getting with COVID, COVID. because yeah. they had a event where they nominated the new Supreme Court Justice um, at an event where everybody was like standing around in person without masks. During the middle of the pandemic, and that mm. was probably when Trump and others got sick with COVID.
1: Right. Right. So it's kinda acting as both his natal chart, of course, but also by proxy in some ways the US chart, even though the regular US chart also still applies. Right. All the stuff in the US chart's hitting the eighth house, second and eighth, which is, you know, finances and also mortality goes in the eighth house.
0: Yeah. In the th-
1: sibling chart, I should say.
0: One of the things, so right now, at least currently, the death count hasn't gone up as much as it has in Mar we did it march when it first hit, and everybody was unprepared. Mm. So I'm hoping that that's the case. One of the things that makes me nervous about looking at the nineteen the um nineteen eighteen one. flu pandemic was that it didn't the Jupiter Pluto didn't coincide with the first wave. There was one exact conjunction, and what it coincided with was around August of nineteen eighteen. There was a mutation of the virus, mm-hmm. and it mutated and became more deadly. And that's what the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction coincided with was the mutation. Mm. And then um, there was a retrograde, and it separated. And then it came back and got really close and conjoined, and like almost conjoined in like cancer or something. So for all intents and purposes, it was a conjunction, and that was when the deadly second wave happened in 1918. And I just hope it's not something weird like that where it's a mutation that comes out of this conjunction, but instead it's the just the third big wave.
1: Yeah, we'll see. I mean, that is an important astrological principle that comes up a decent bit is like sometimes if things don't coincide exactly, it's because the thing that's most pivotal is happening right then when the aspect is exact, but you don't necessarily see the aftermath of it yet or the consequences of it yet. Right. So anyway, that's not the election, but it is definitely a a big piece of the election.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's feeding into things and that was tied into some of the delays in the votes and the mail-in voting and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Additionally, at this time, one of the things I was worried about was I noticed in after the first Jupiter-Pluto conjunction, if you go back to and listen to the forecast for I think it was like May is when I really started observing this, but just um, this huge like rise in like conspiracy theories and conspiracy rhetoric and like misinformation that was happening, mm. and I started like zeroing in on that Jupiter Pluto conjunction as being one of the things that seemed to be coinciding with it because at the time it was surrounding COVID and like COVID denialism and attempts to attach all sort of weird or ulterior things to it, mm-hmm. and so that was something I anticipated with the other conjunctions that I mentioned on the forecast this month. And of course, what's happening now is it seems like there's this weird confluence of conspiracy theory stuff now happening with the election, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's also going to get tied into COVID or or what. But that's one of my concerns about the the conjunction, the third and final conjunction happening later this week. Is um, I read a tweet from or an article from like Reuters or the Associated Press, and this like security expert was being quote quoted saying that right now there was the largest disinformation effort or something in US history that was right. taking place this week in the aftermath of the election to try to dispute um, the results of it or something like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a striking headline. It matched up very well, um, especially timely right now. Yes, yeah, so we have the last Jupiter-Pluto conjunction this week that can be tied into some of those conspiracy theories. And the reason is because Pluto can be about, you know, delving deep into things that are unseen, that can be a piece, Mm -hmm. or um, uncovering that which isn't apparent. But on the flip side of that, I mean, and that can be genuinely a piece of Pluto things, but on the flip side of that, it can also be things like paranoia, because it's the desire to delve and try to find things that you think that are hidden. And so that can be things that are actually hidden or you know, or just sort of like getting really sort of obsessive in terms of thinking things are there that they aren't.
0: Mm-hmm. So I found the quote and it said it was like an NPR thing, but they were, they say, experts say that the combination of President Trump's continued false assertions of a stolen election and rapidly growing social media groups sharing those claims has led to quote unquote the most intense online disinformation event in US history. So I'm, Really focused on that Jupiter Pluto conjunction for that Mm -hmm. and something coming out of that or being formed out of that that might not be good in the long term.
1: For sure. And I mean, the other major thing I see going on this week with those transits, you know, Pluto can also be power or power dynamics, particularly things that are a little bit maybe underhanded. Um, not straightforward. Mm-hmm. You know, Pluto is sort of like, you just want power for its own sake sometimes. It, that's not always the case. I mean, that's simplifying considerably. but
0: Well, well, and also the exercising of power in order to manipulate and do things in an underhanded or, or not clear, evident way. And, and yeah. what's happening with that is people are being manipulated into thinking they've discovered a big conspiracy, but they're just being manipulated in order to achieve political ends to undermine, you know, uh, like reasonably like in an election that went fine
1: for sure and i think that's the trouble with the aspect you know um at least some parts of it is that everyone's feeling that but it's is it's a matter of like what is the actual manipulation or what is the actual um attempted power grab because that is i think part of the jupiter pluto it can also be like um bigger power people trying to get bigger power okay so
0: so, um, all right. So that's the the Jupiter Pluto and stuff. I wanted to move on to talking about. I think that's good for Mercury. There's not anything we meant to mention about the Mercury retrograde or the current things that we've already experienced so far for just transits this month.
1: Uh, I think that's it.
0: I mean, we are anticipating. This is kind of turned into a bit of a forecast, but the ele- <laughs> the elections are the eclipses, eclipses. are coming up, and mm-hmm. that's that's going to be the major turning point. Well, that that actually does lead us into our next topic. So maybe okay. we'll, let's just go go there. So we wanted to talk about a review of some of the technical factors that did did work out now that we know the outcome of the election, specifically at some of the charts that were relevant, especially the birth charts of the candidates in the US presidential election.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's the sort of next major major topic or ma- major section of this.
2: Okay.
0: So you and I at the end of September, we did record like a three-hour work study session where we sat here for the first time and went over all the charts and looked at all of the different employed all the techniques that we would normally look at in order to try to figure out the outcome of the election. So I've been trying to, and we release that to patrons as an episode of the Casual Astrology Podcast as just like a private thing for a couple hundred people. And um, I, I got out of political astrology years ago, and part of the backstory was that Patrick Watson and I launched a blog called the Political Astrology Blog back in 2008, and it ran until... Um, I took it offline after the 2012 election in like early 2013 because mm. I wanted to get out of political astrology because I could see how tense and how vicious politics was sort of getting. And um, I wanted to sort of get out of that because my thing is primarily just doing astrology and that's what I enjoy and getting wrapped up in like political stuff has many many downsides that mm-hmm. you know is is not not always fun. So, um, I had a temporary lapse of judgment when I was invited to like join a panel in 2016. And I said, sure. I had sort of planned to hand it over to Patrick since he kept doing political astrology, but I didn't and went ahead with it, which was stupid because ultimately there was huge issues. And I did an episode leading up to it about the issues with Hillary Clinton's birth time and how I didn't know if I was using the correct chart for her. Mm-hmm. And I was using zodiac releasing primarily. So if I had the wrong birth time, everything could be off. And I said very clearly at the time, if this is the correct birth time, it looks good for her. But if this is not, then it means her peaks were previously and it doesn't look good for her winning the election.
2: Mm.
0: But I was so wrapped up in a sort of internal conspiracy theory in the astrological community about Hillary Clinton being a Scorpio rising who didn't want people to know she was a Scorpio rising, Mm. that I used this birth time of 8 a.m. That, that came from this older astrologer who had passed away named Francis McAvoy who swore by it even though every piece of documentation that I found after that point um, actually indicated she was born in the exact opposite end of the day, which is 8 p.m. So I was using literally the exact opposite chart. Mm-hmm. So I got that wrong and um, talked about it. I think I did an episode a week or two after about my reflections of the 2016 election, which is part of why we're doing this today um and for me though i knew that in order to do political astrology well you have to take it really seriously and you have to take you have to follow things really closely during the right. course of the election and leading up to it to really correctly anticipate their trajectory that things are on and then to predict where it's going to go from there for all of the people involved
1: yeah you need to be lo- looking biographically tracking people's trajectories with their charts having good birth times is essential or else you just don't know
0: yeah, so that was not my focus and I was not anything I was into doing this time, so I just didn't. I followed the election to a certain extent. I know you were following the astrology way closer than I was. A bit more. But getting into it and trying to like issue predictions or anything like that was not on the top of my to-do list this year. So we just waited until September till we, we were gonna have as much birthday as we had. We sat down and we looked at it and then counted up the pieces. And there were some pieces in favor of Biden and there were some pieces in favor of Trump um, and then let that sort of stand for itself. So what I want to do here is just look at some of those pieces that actually did work out well that we had considered either in September in the run up to this or that we've seen since then mm-hmm. that are sort of interesting things that I think astrologers can take into account and learn from this for future elections. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's start with um, the eclipses. Mm -hmm. So the big thing is the eclipses. That's the thing I kept remembering. I kept mentioning. I mentioned on the last forecast episode for November that we recorded back in October that I thought was the most impressive was um, because it had come up in the in the last three U.S. presidential elections. Mm -hmm. So I have a graphic for that that actually. Kyle made for me from Archetypal Explorer, which shows the the like endgame transits of 2020 as we get towards the end of the year and we have some of those final big transits. So we have the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction going exact here in mid-November. But then not too long after that, on the last couple of days of November, on November 30th, there is a lunar eclipse, which is going to take place in Gemini. Mm-hmm. And then Two weeks after that, there's a major solar eclipse that's going to take place on December 14th in the sign of Sagittarius. Right. And then finally, just after that, is the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in Aquarius in mid to late December Mm -hmm. as the final major transit of the year. So um, the eclipse is important because it's taking place, the solar eclipse specifically is important because it's taking place in Sagittarius, and Sagittarius happens to be. Joe Biden's rising sign, right. So that's important because one of the patterns that we'd noticed, that I had noticed in the past few presidential elections, and that Patrick had noticed, was that um, when an eclipse takes place in the rising sign or in the tenth whole sign house in the midheaven of a presidential candidate, that tends to be the guy that wins Mm. because it's something about like the collective connecting the the sort of collective energy of an eclipse. With the personal birth chart and the the sense of self, or the most personal part of the chart, the first house and the tenth house in that individual's birth chart. Right. So that happened in two thousand eight when um, there started being eclipses around the time of the two thousand eight presidential election in Aquarius, and Obama, of course, has Aquarius rising. Then in two thousand twelve, the eclipses moved a few signs over. And started happening in Scorpio, which is Obama's 10th house. Mm -hmm. And then in the um, 2016 presidential election, eclipses started taking place in Leo, uh, which is Trump's first First house and rising sign. It's his first whole sign house, which is actually kind of important because if he has 29 Leo rising, that the entirety of Leo is his first house. Right. Um, and most, you know, famously, especially the Great American Eclipse, which occurred like six months into Trump's presidency, mm-hmm. and crossed over, you know, a huge swath of America, ended up being in his rising sign. Right. So that's true for the past three presidential elections. You can also take it further back than that if you want. But those are the ones where I saw it myself, like up close and personal, and was really impressed by it. So that was one of the things we did notice um, in our study session in September that was going to be important. And and the other reason it's important because it's happening on December 14th, and that's the day that the electoral college will vote and certify the results of the election or finalize them. How do how do you phrase that?
1: Yeah. I would I don't I'm not sure. But um but yeah either of those finalize, um make official, I guess. I think that is the part where it's most official when the electoral college meets and votes, because then it's like a definite vote. Um because we're technically voting on electors when we go vote as citizens, yeah. But um, yeah. So the fact that the Electoral College meets during that Sagittarius eclipse is really striking, and that it's happening in Biden's first. And the reason why it's so important when the eclipses happen in the first and tenth are they're both they're the both both of the um, most visible houses in the chart. So you literally are very visible if there's an eclipse happening in your first house or tenth house. Mm-hmm. You're kind of like visible in a bigger way temporarily, or or more long-term. It's also a change. Usually eclipses in a house bring some sort of change. Yeah. And an eclipse in the first would be change of identity. You know, becoming a president is a pretty big change in identity. And the eclipse in the 10th, of course, is change for career.
0: Yeah. And also like a new beginning, mm-hmm. Like especially a solar eclipse is a new beginning and right. a lunar eclipse sometimes is a sort of culmination in some sense.
1: hmm right.
0: So here is Biden's chart. Um, it does have, I mean, there were some questions because it has a, a rounded like six thirty AM birth time. Mm. So it gives three Sagittarius rising. Is that correct? Six thirty?
1: Is it or no sorry, it's eight thirty? Yeah, I thought that's enough.
0: Eight thirty. So it's a bit rounded birth time, but it's actually worked out really well. Like I don't have mm. any questions about whether he's a Sag rising for sure. Right. But even the um the minutes, I'm not I'm thinking it's actually not far off from eight thirty, even though we would take that typically as like a rounded time. Right. Um, on One of the things I noticed is on the third presidential debate, um, Biden did extremely well. He did much better than he did in the first debate where Trump just interrupted him a lot and mm-hmm. kind of got under Biden's skin. And Biden kind of tried to fight back a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think he called him a clown or something at one point. But um, in the third debate, Trump was more restrained and Biden did a better job of sort of just debating basically Mm -hmm. and did a pretty good job in that debate. And one of the things I noticed is that transiting Jupiter later that night exactly trined the degree and minute of the midheaven Mm. in his birth chart using this time. Mm -hmm. So his midheaven is, uh, what is it? It's 1950 something. Yeah. yeah, I can't quite see. <laughs> Sorry, we're, we have the setup is weird. So it's 1954, Virgo hmm. and Jupiter. If you go back and look at it, exactly trying his mid heaven that night, and I think that was, while it was not a completely decisive thing in the sense that that like shaped the outcome of the election or there was a huge like groundswell one way or another as a result of that debate, I did think that was something that helped him um, ultimately in seeing Jupiter exactly trying the degree and minute of his. Um, Midheaven that night, I think, was really important and might help to tie in or lock in this time a little bit more than we might take it otherwise.
1: I think the time's very close, and I agree that that helps for sure. Um, I'm still a little bit juries out in terms of the lot of spirit, and that could actually move within like the next two minutes. So, but that's still quite close in terms of doing most things with the chart.
0: Yeah, and that's something we should get to is, is talking about zodiac releasing in a minute. Mm. Um, once we're done talking about the the, tr- the eclipses. Yeah. So, um, so it's not just seeing. So we see that he has three Sagittarius rising. So whether using whole sign or quadrant or equal or some other goofy house system, uh, the eclipse, the solar eclipse on December fourteenth, will fall in his first house. Pretty much no matter what, I think. Yes. So, and it's not just that, but it's also the fact that it falls on the day that the electoral college is going to vote. Right. So, assuming that goes through and takes place, since obviously we are doing this a little ahead of time. And we're, we're sort of anticipating stuff that's going to come up that seems like pretty certain at this point or pretty mm. inevitable, You know, um, I think in the future we can take that as an important thing that needs to be paid attention to. Because people often pay attention to like Inauguration Day and the chart for that or mm. they pay attention to Election Day. Election Day. Whenever that falls in early November, it's like the first Tuesday mm-hmm. in November, um, they pay attention to Inauguration Day. But uh, this this day of the electoral college voting, hmm. um, it seems like it's it's an important day as well, to the yeah. extent that that transit is falling so exact on that day for him. And that was a good indicator here for him winning the election, even though it falls just after what is technically like an over a month after what is technically election day.
1: Yeah, I agree. And um, a tie-in to note there as well that's also important is Kamala Harris, we have an exact birth time for her, and she has Gemini rising. And so she's also having the eclipses across her first and seventh houses. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's important because this this one coming up at the end of November, November 30th, is actually in her first house, though it's a lunar eclipse. But the solar eclipse then on December 14th will fall in her seventh house, which seems really quite um, Appropriate in terms of a running mate being potentially a seventh house person.
0: Yeah, I mean it's literally her, her partner, her business partner, or as you said, running mate, Mm -hmm. and being like a a partner of sorts.
1: Right. So it's actually really interesting that it's happening in Joe Biden's first and Kamala Harris's seventh on electoral college vote.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. So that and that was an argument in favor of both of them then for that perspective, not just Joe Biden but also Kamala Harris. Mm -hmm the fact that they have um, mutable signs rising. right? All right, so that was really good. Um, The other thing that's of course important is that it's not just the solar eclipse that's happening, there's also the lunar eclipse that's going to happen at the end of November, and that's kind of like a culmination or an ending point in some sense. Mm -hmm. It's going to take place in Gemini on November 30th and I think one of my takeaways or one of the things that I'm taking as important for that is that on the other side, um, politically, that the the pr- current president and, and vice president both happen to be sun sign Geminis. Right. So that means that lunar eclipse is falling um, right on their sun sign mm-hmm. in both of their charts. We know that's Trump's 11th house. We don't have Pence's birth time, so we don't know what house that's falling in his chart. We also happen to know that Trump was born on a lunar eclipse. Mm -hmm. So that's also additionally important for him. But it seems like it's in a sense of um, coming to completion and endings and closing something down, which in this context, I guess, is is the four years of his presidency and the peak of his political power and influence, presumably.
1: Right. And I don't think we or anyone else would have taken that in isolation as to say which way it would go, but it is somewhat striking given all of the factors together that there is that lunar eclipse which is more about endings rather than beginnings. Um, yeah, and I do think that that may be something. There's a few dates I noticed coinciding near the end of the month around the eclipse, a few other things, and so I do think that might be like an important turning point with regard to like the whole transition piece. Yeah, um, definitely. And the eclipse, you know, happening in the eleventh, even though it's kind of we were more, more focusing on the fact that it was happening in his sun sign, and the you know sign where his sun is placed in his birth chart, the eleventh house is also your friends, groups, alliances, mm-hmm. and social alliances basically. So um, I do think there may be an ending of sorts that may be important with regard to the transition in regards to the, um, his alliances.
0: Yeah. So here's Trump's chart and his Sun is at 22 degrees of Gemini and it's conjunct his north node at 20 Gemini and his Uranus at 17 Gemini, opposite to his Moon at 21 degrees of Sagittarius. So and since that's falling on the nodal axis, it's basically really close to a. a he's born just after, or no, sorry, just before a lunar eclipse in uh, Sagittarius. Mm-hmm. So this is like the opposite. It's a lunar eclipse in in Gemini. So it's a, sort of like an inversion or a reversal of what he has in his birth chart. Right. All right. So that's the case with Trump. And then let's see. There's Pence's chart and. Pence has his sun at 16 degrees of Gemini, his mercury at 21 Gemini, and his moon um may or may not be in Gemini. It's either in Gemini, very late Gemini, like the last six, 5 or 6 degrees of Gemini, or it's in the first 5 or 6 degrees of Cancer.
1: Right. So, and this is important that we don't have a time chart for Pence, so pay, don't pay attention to the houses here.
0: Yeah, don't pay attention to the houses, don't and the moon's a little weird. One thing that's funny about Pence is like um Trump, you can kind of peg as a as a Gemini, and mm-hmm. he's, he's, a, he's a talker. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pence doesn't come off that way over the past four years as being much of a talker as a as a Gemini, just to get really basic sun sign right. pop pop astrology type keywords <laughs> Does he talk here. A lot, <laughs> yeah. But what's actually funny about that? I was thinking in the past few days, you know, he originally first became more prominent because he was doing like he was a talk radio host in the 1990s, mm-hmm. and that was his original. Um, sort of platform that gave him a launching off point for politics. Mm. So, while we might not have that conceptualization now in terms of how he presents himself in public and stuff, um, you know, that's that's still an element there in, in his life, certainly.
1: Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and I hadn't known that before you told me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, all right. So those are the two main things in terms of the eclipses. Is there anything else about that? I think that's pretty, Mm-mm. pretty good and pretty straightforward. Yeah. Okay. So other stuff that we looked at and and that was the thing that was like the the eclipse falling on on December 14th for me was one of the most impressive things that I kept coming back to mm-hmm. and was hoping was sufficient, but I wasn't sure. And I guess that was the other part of this is for me this election was much more relaxing for the first time in a few election cycles just to sit back and have my Preference for what the outcome was, to be like idly following the election and to have some hopeful things that, that I was hoping for in terms of my desired outcome, but not otherwise being invested in it in terms of like trying to drive myself crazy, figuring out the outcome and investing a lot in it sort of more emotionally than I already was personally or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was already enough. There's already enough like anxiety and just the ups and downs of this whole election and everything else just in terms of being an American living in the country and and everything else. Mm -hmm. um, It was kind of nice not to have to deal with that in terms of trying to also like issue predictions about it or something.
1: For sure, which I definitely know what you mean, but it's also really funny to hear you say, I think you're an outlier if you felt like more relaxed during this election versus the last few.
0: (laughs) Well, I felt more relaxed in terms of that, in terms of just trying to figure out the outcome instead of I, I enjoyed just having my own personal investment and seeing the outcome that was separate from trying to definitely figure out what the astrology was going to be by studying it like intensely, like twenty four seven.
1: Yeah, and I and, think, we'll...
0: and that's a huge element, though, that we'll have to talk about later. Yeah. Is just that gets in the way with astrologers making predictions. Sometimes mm. is their political affiliations and their desire
1: mm-hmm. for
0: what the outcome, what they hope will be, versus what the outcome ends up actually being. Um, as well as what media sources and news and information are they taking in that are providing the context for their predictions and the context for what they're expecting to take place.
1: Right. So we'll get into that in a a little bit here. Um, But it's just, you know, kind of like can pause to note that just this is kind of an example of just because you can try to make predictions around something doesn't mean you always have to even if you're an astrologer, you know, in terms of public events. So we'll we'll get to more of that.
0: Okay. So, um, so our other
1: technical factors.
0: Zodiac releasing. So yeah. this is one where we have to give you props because um, like I've talked about a few times in the forecast in the past, I think we talked about it in, in, in August mm-hmm. maybe or, or the August forecast or maybe it was the September forecast when Harris was officially given the VP nod by mm-hmm. Biden and became his running mate in the, the presidential election. I told this funny story about how there was this period in late 2018 where you just kept talking about-
1: <laughs> And you were kind of playing that up. Yeah, I was just playing to... that as a, as, a joke, <laughs> as
0: a joke. I was supposed <laughs> to make a joke about how I couldn't get you to, to shut up about <laughs> how eminent Harris's chart looked like it would become around the time of the 2020 presidential election when you were looking at her zodiac releasing periods mm-hmm. because it fit one of the classical indicators um, that came up in different charts like George Bush's chart, for example, when he became president in 2000 and 2004 of going into a major level one peak period that was Angular from Fortune. And you had discovered at some point in like the second half of 2018 that Harris would go into a peak period that would start in December of 2020, Mm -hmm. so right after the presidential election. And you thought that this meant that she could potentially um, win somehow uh, because this was before she launched her presidential campaign, but she was Mm -hmm. widely anticipated to and she did in fact launch it not too long after that. And we were both trying to stay out of political astrology, but after much deliberation, you did put a tweet out, sort of saying some of what you thought about that. Very not super cryptically, but pretty right. pretty clearly, in, in early January of twenty nineteen.
1: Twenty nineteen, yeah, yeah. After looking at it in twenty eighteen, and I was actually very careful about that because I don't actually really want to. Fully and you know get myself into that, and I didn't want to. Yeah, I didn't want to be the target of anyone who disagreed with that or anything like that. But at the same time, it was so striking that I wanted to like make a public note of it, and you know, in case things came back later, um, which they have. So yeah, I was looking in late 2018 at this, and it 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 was two things. It was the fact, maybe three things. It was the fact that she was. Moving into a major peak period on level one, which is the biggest picture peak, you know, level you can have in Zodiacal Releasing from Spirit, which is about career and general life direction. And she had already done so much in this very long preparatory period that was supposed to be leading up to the peak period. She had already done so many kind of prominent things. And the peak period is about active and important. And so it's like, what's more active than being a U.S. Senator? Like, how many steps up can you go from there? And so I figured either. You know, running for president, VP, or cabinet. Um, Mm -hmm. Those were my guesses. The other major thing I was looking at there was that it's angular from her benefic of sect. Venus in a night chart tends to be the most positive placement um, wherever it's placed in ruling. And so, when that gets tied into being angular from the lot of fortune, um, it means when you go into your peak period, it's also more positive for you. So, it was both of those things. And I was like, what's more prominent and more positive than what she's been doing already? And then I also tracked back through a lot of her chronology with the preparatory period and it lined up like perfectly with all of her career moves even in one where it should have been actually more challenging um because it tied in Mars and Saturn in her prep prep period
0: so since so here's her birth chart and since it um is just talking about the general periods the level 1 periods that's something where we could actually talk through really quickly mm-hmm. how that works so she interestingly like trump was actually born at a Full moon. Mm-hmm. So both Trump and Kamala Harris were born in a full moon. Hers was not an eclipse because it's not on the nodal axis, mm-hmm. but we can see the moon and the sun are exactly opposite to each other from sun at 27 Libra to moon at 27 Aries. So when the sun and moon are exactly opposite each other, both the lot of fortune and the lot of spirit will both be conjunct the descendant. And that's where they are in this chart. They're both at 24 degrees of Sagittarius conjunct her um, descendant. So uh, the way this technique works with zodiac releasing from the lot of spirit is that since spirit and fortune fall in the same sign, you move spirit forward to Capricorn. Capricorn has a 27-year period based on the period of Saturn, so the first chapter of her life lasts for 27 years. And then she goes into a 30-year Aquarius period, the very next sign in zodiacal order, which is, again, a period associated with Saturn for 30 years, and that's the second chapter of her life. And because she has a night chart and Saturn is placed in that sign, it's a little bit more of a difficult period for her. But it's building up to this 12-year Pisces period, which she begins immediately after that. And because that's the sign of Pisces and it's her 10th house and it's square to the sign of her lot of fortune, that is considered to be what we call a peak period that tends to be more active and important and for people especially politicians it can be a period of eminence and doing some of their most important work in some instances mm-hmm. so um what you noticed is that she would be moving into that 12 year pisces peak period right. and it would start in december of oh, 2020, 2020.
1: Mm-hmm. so just before about a month before inauguration
0: so and in here i found a screenshot of the tweet that you put out in january january 2nd of 2019 it says I looked at actually. Why don't you read it because then it's in your in your voice. <laughs>
1: sure. Uh, so I said I looked at Kamala Harris's chart slash career history, and she's definitely rising somehow. Her zodiacal releasing will be excellent soon. At the end of 2020, peak periods on levels one, two, and three. Her whole preparatory level one period since 1991 has been steady climb upwards. Matches the timing perfectly in what should have been less prominent, more challenging period compared to 2021 and onward. Is it? She's in a completion period now in level two, switches to peak period level two in July for a year. Level one peak starts December 25th, 2020. So somehow more prominence and more positive coming up. Look forward to seeing how it plays out.
0: Yeah. So and then on the other night on Twitter, she got up and introduced, I introduced Joe Biden before he Sort of announced and, and accepting, and gave his victory speech basically, mm-hmm. and I took a picture of Kamala Harris and posted that above your right. thing on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what's funny about that, of course, is she she then launched her campaign shortly after you made that tweet, and then went through the primaries. But one of the things we were both somewhat surprised and disappointed about in terms of the prediction was that she actually dropped out of the um, presidential race. And at first, mm-hmm. it actually looked like that was going to be a failed right. sort of quasi prediction. Um, But then later, over the course of this summer, she came back into play and was picked as Joe Biden's running mate and Mm -hmm. now is the vice president-elect of the United States.
1: Right. And so, I mean, that is kind of one of those things where it's like if you see the astrology and what's happening diverging, but there's still more time left in play, it's like "Mm, you should trust the astrology as long as you have a good birth time.
0: Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, sometimes you, you should trust the astrology, definitely. I mean, that's
1: a whole other digression, really. But yeah, well, I'm just saying this This still looked like it had to ramp up somehow. And so we were like, how is that going to happen?
0: Yeah. Well, well, one of the things that we still in our September work session, because this is one of the other things, it was like the eclipse looked really good for Biden, and I thought that was a good thing in his favor. Mm. The zodiac releasing looked really good for Kamala Harris, and that mm. was another argument in favor of their ticket. Mm-hmm. But the only thing that we were nervous and unsure about with the zodiac releasing that was still a problem is that it was opening a 12 year year okay. long peak period for her. Yeah. And so one of the dangers and the open questions up until like last week was does that mean she's going to start becoming eminent now, mm-hmm. like starting in December at the very beginning of the peak period? Or is this opening up a whole period of eminence where because she ran and was the vice presidential candidate this time? would she then um, you know, run and win in 2024 or something? Right. That was the secondary scenario that was a possibility that we couldn't rule out.
1: Yeah, it was not a guarantee because it's sometimes the case that when people start their new level one peak period, things start happening immediately, like mm-hmm. pretty quickly like within that first sub-period. But in other cases, it's more like you're in that milieu now and now you have the chance to become more prominent and that still can play out over some time. So it wasn't a guarantee.
0: And there's also different like levels of prominence because yeah. there's like you can start it and become prominent, but then you could become, you could hit the L2 peak. You know, there can be one or two of those, which mm. she actually will hit, she a will few hit later years yeah. and could become mm-hmm. more prominent during those times. Right, exactly. So, um, but that, that's, a, that's one of the funny things that's sometimes annoying about people learning the technique is like they'll go into a new general period. Yeah. And then like a day later, they'll like write me and say it's not working because <laughs> right. I haven't become eminent like literally like, you know, two hours into the start of that new level one period exactly. and I have to tell them sometimes it takes a little bit of time. It's not immediate.
1: Right, right. Yeah, it's it's kind of like mapping the the playing out of all the different things. So, there were a couple other things about her chart, and I'm not sure we wrote down here, but we did cover that I think are true at this point. Like, um, like what? So I noted that she was going to start her second Saturn return, and in fact had sort of already started it with the brief ingress of Saturn going into Aquarius this spring. Mm. Um, and so that, and that's in her ninth house. Politics can be in the ninth house, you know, even though tenth house is technically like, you know, um, career or. People at the top, the ninth house can be politics and government sometimes. So yeah,
0: I mean, I've really, I've always felt weird about that, but this year more than any other year, I've started to really truly understand that in a much deeper way for two reasons. One, because politics has to do with one's sense of like ethics and morality,
1: mm-hmm. and what what you want to see enacted in the world.
0: Yeah, yeah, and the other the is because politics is also sometimes very much. Not a fully rational thing. It has to do sometimes with like belief, belief
1: systems. Yeah, yeah.
0: like one's belief systems, and mm-hmm. sometimes those can be have rationalizations and be like thought out. But other times mm-hmm. they can be sometimes more akin to your like religious preference of like I'm a sure I'm a Catholic or I'm a I'm a you know evangel evangel uh, something else evangelical evangelical <laughs> yeah yeah
1: yeah exactly so. Her natal Saturn is in Aquarius in the whole sign house. And um, so she did start with that first ingress with Saturn into Aquarius in late March of this year that technically started her second Saturn return. Mm-hmm. But then that only stayed there until the end of June, but that was kind of the tip-off point. And then as we understand it anyway, Saturn– No, I mean,
0: that's actually really interesting and important because that station then– um, In May. Yeah, I'm station thinking of this May. station in May if I have it here in the It
1: was like May 11th or something. Yeah, May 11th.
0: Yeah, there it is May 11th, mm-hmm. but it was it was right after that in June during the protests that I think she became more prominent again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So politically in terms of where the US was and where where the left was in terms of like what was important um and just her What she brought to the table more as a a Black woman being able to speak to some of those more immediate concerns in the US. And I think that might have because I know there was debates between like um, Elizabeth Warren Mm -hmm. or something and her financial savvy or what have you versus other potential VP candidates. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that 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 was the because we often talked about that being the Saturn ingress into Aquarius as being like the preview of what that transit will be about for a lot of people, right. or somehow, yeah. It starts off the process. Yeah, yeah. So that was the start of her Saturn return.
1: Exactly. It so says the start of her second Saturn return in Aquarius in the ninth house, and so that's going to come back here now. What mid to um, later December when Saturn and then Jupiter both move into Aquarius and make that conjunction at the first degree of Aquarius on December twenty first. So that'll happen in her ninth house, and that's kind of um, yeah, that's. Just after the ingresses, right? They both go into the first degree of Aquarius, and then there's an immediate conjunction. Mm-hmm. And so that's a really interesting what I had noted early on looking at that is that's a really interesting kickoff to like the rest of the bulk of the Saturn return. Yeah. Is that Jupiter Saturn conjunction? That's kind of like seeding since it's a only happens once every 20 years, the conjunction between those two planets. It's like a long-term seeding of a new beginning in that area wherever it's happening in your chart and it's happening in her ninth house and as part of her second Saturn return. So that was kind of striking to me, that piece
0: that's kind of interesting to me from a different perspective which is that mike pence i was just re- re- being reminded in the past week has saturn in early capricorn right and so that means he's finishing up his yeah, second yeah. saturn return right now hmm. um and has True. been over the course of the past few years, as he's been vice president for the past four years.
1: Yeah, that's a good point so in an comparison. Parallel. Right, exactly. And then the other piece of her chart I had been thinking about is just that it really ties in, not only having the Gemini Sag axis, at least ties into the Sibley chart, but even if you don't prioritize a particular rising sign for the US chart, um the Pluto, the, the natal US Pluto is 27, 27 Capricorn is exactly square, her sun and moon. And so I thought, you know, this really ties into um someone who's going to be dealing with those issues of the US Pluto return potentially mm-hmm. being sort of like personally tied into that process.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um so so those are some of the things so the the eclipses that, that I'm releasing mm-hmm. those are coming some of the things that worked out in favor that are good takeaways from this um elections Trump's z r is still being weird, and there's still a whole thing about that right um that was my primary technique in the last election this election when we did our work session. it's like we paid attention to the z r but one of the things I realized one of my takeaways from the last election, and you can hear me doing this in the episode that I did like a week or two after that election is I was just um discovering things after that election that other astrologers had said from other techniques like secondary progressions mm. that were interesting that I didn't know know about. Right. And one of the things that it made me realize was I put too much emphasis on one single technique mm. in 2016. And when, if you used a variety of techniques that gave multiple indications, you could sometimes get multiple indications pointing in a, in a different direction. Right. And if they all cluster up or clump up like we're seeing, for example, with the eclipses in the ZR and Kamala Harris's chart, it can push you in a certain direction that you might not go otherwise. Mm -hmm. So um, I didn't just pay attention to Zodiac releasing this time. And Trump's chart is still weird. There was a debate after the 2016 election about whether um, like Patrick Watson, for example, one of his takeaways from what happened with that election was he believed that the zodiac-releasing periods we were using for Trump were wrong. And he had this whole argument about drawing on some other somewhat minor obscure Hellenistic astrologers that you shouldn't reverse the lots or that you should reverse the lot positions.
1: Mm -hmm. That you should swap them, basically. You
0: should swap spirit and fortune. Mm. And so that's been an ongoing debate over the past four years about whether that's true or not. Mm -hmm. Um, He did to his credit issue a, a, a prediction about the presidential election primarily based on zodi- on Trump's zodiac releasing that Trump would lose the election mm-hmm. because he found a repetition in the periods that he's using of Trump having dropped out of like the 2012 presidential election and him having a similar repetition now in November of 2020. Mm-hmm. And he inferred from that that Trump would drop out or lose the election or something like that. Right as we're waiting for him now to still concede the election.
1: Right. Yeah, so I mean that's something to look further at. Um I I feel like I need to do a lot of kind of scrutinizing of this because I had looked at Trump's regular spirit periods, you know. F-
0: yeah, I mean well well I mean you should say that more full full fledged I feel like because both of us Have felt very strongly that you don't need to do that. And Mm -hmm. you've, in particular, followed Trump's ZR periods really closely over the past four years. And you feel like sometimes pretty strongly Mm -hmm. that they have still been coinciding pretty well. And especially the big thing that was out to and undecided for a long time was what was going to happen during his level two loosing of the bond. Mm -hmm. And the focal point, which came down to a few day time span and like the summer of last year of 2019, the, fun, mm-hmm. the fundamental focal point of the entire loosing of the bond where it was a loosing of the bond on all three possible levels mm-hmm. ended up being two actually sort of important events. One of them was that Mueller finally testified for the Russia probe, and that sort of ended up being the culmination. And then after that point, the whole Russia probe thing sort of went away. In terms of the focus of that and everything else, and mm-hmm. he testified basically saying there was weird stuff that happened, but that he had approached it under the premise that he couldn't bring charges to like a sitting president or something weird like that.
1: Mm-hmm, right, and also the impeachment happened through that whole process. the um, The phone call that tipped off the whole impeachment process to Ukraine happened right at the exact pivot, pivotal point in there.
0: Yeah, that was the second thing that I was going to mention. Mm-hmm. So, um. Trump ended up making the call that led to his impeachment where he called and tried to pressure um, a foreign government in order to investigate his political rival who happened Mm. to be Joe Biden because he was anticipating Biden being his primary adversary and primary person that he had to to beat in the presidential election, which Mm -hmm. in retrospect turned out to be prescient because Biden just actually did end up beating him. But at that time, at the exact dates of those loosings of the bond on all three levels turned out in retrospect, we found out to be when he made the call.
1: Right, right. So, And that's when I was tracking it the most and not not so much because I was interested personally in terms of Trump's everyday existence, you know, because you do have to track it like every day to see it down to the level fours. And some things will of course be public and some things will not. But I tracked it every day pretty much for several months and it all lined up perfectly. Um, and I've noticed to that you know the regular spirit periods, every single time he hits like an Aquarius period, for instance, which is his lot of fortune. so one of his major peak periods, even on the most minor levels, important stuff happens. So um, you know I'm watching that going forward because there are still some things coming up in the next couple months that I'm curious to see how they play out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I mean that is an issue that I'm still seeing that accurately reflect a lot of events.
0: Yeah, and there's an issue about whether, because that would still be the fortune periods in Patrick's approach. Right, exactly. But it would be the spirit periods in our approach. And the fortune spirit periods are supposed to be more like actions that you take, and fortune Mm -hmm. is supposed to be more like circumstances and things that happen to you.
1: Exactly. And we had
0: a little sort of debate with Patrick at the time about whether that was a fortune or a spirit thing. But I felt like it was a spirit thing because it was uh, an action that Trump took on the exact loosing of the bond, mm-hmm. which then had re- repercussions and led to the impeachment right? versus something that was just like out of his hands or something like that, like a, a natural disaster or health thing.
1: Exactly. And, and I have seen that over and over every time he hits particularly the Aquarius periods, but other peak periods too, is that he takes an action. It's not something happening to him, but he actually takes another action that's important more than usual.
0: Yeah. So. Okay. So in terms of the zodiac releasing though coming up, what we were seeing, what you were seeing especially because you were more focused on the ZR periods for Trump was him entering into like a Leo period on level three coming up.
1: Yeah, starting December 17th. So,
0: Which is like a peak period, but it's also uh, one of his most negative periods because his Mars is placed in Leo in a day chart.
1: Exactly. And so we, when he hits those Leo periods, he also does important things, takes important actions, but he gets much more blowback than usual during the Leo periods in particular because that's the focal point of the Mars more than any other sign period in ZR.
0: And then one of the things that made us, unsure, I know, made me unsure in September, and it was one of the counterpoints that I wasn't sure if it was in Trump's favor. Was his general periods that if we were using the normal spirit periods, um, he would move into a, a larger. I think was it a Leo period in mm-hmm. four or five years, right? Exactly. So that was a little weird because he would move into a larger level peak period, but it would also be more qualitatively negative or difficult. Mm -hmm. And that made me a little um, nervous about whether that indicated a Trump win because it was sort of similar to the basis of me and Patrick's 2012 presidential prediction for Obama Mm. because we saw that Obama would have a loosing of the bond starting in the spring of 2017. And we inferred then that that probably meant he would be having a career transition and that would make sense if he was finishing up his second um, term of office in the White House at that point to have a career transition immediately after that. Um, And that ended up working Mm -hmm. out. So we weren't sure then or that made me a little Mm -hmm. bit uneasy about whether Trump ending a major chapter of his life in four or five years wasn't him you know, getting a second term in office. Mm-hmm. Um, but now in retrospect, it looks like that's that's something else.
1: Yeah, so it's tricky. We kind of have to see some of it play out, um, especially that period coming up in mid-December and onward. Yeah.
0: Yeah, okay. So anyway, my takeaway from that is zodiac releasing is still important, still useful. There can be weird cases and there's still things that we're learning about it. I think it's important when it comes to major predictions that you don't put everything on one technique and especially mm-hmm the takeaway from 2017 2016 is still especially don't do that if you don't have a solid birth time yeah definitely um but don't
1: feel pressured into doing that if you don't have a solid birth time
0: yeah yeah basically um and don't put yourself in a position where you have to yeah. no matter what if you've like accepted a speaking position which was yeah. the stupid situation i can't, went into right. even though like literally that week there was like a washington post article about how astrologers were trying to figure <laughs> out hillary's birth time at the last minute right yeah all right, let's move on. Other technical yep. things. Um,
1: Biden's perfections.
0: Oh man, that one's so good. So that's another one that was an indication in Biden's favor, although we were still a little bit unsure about it because sometimes it can go different ways. So mm-hmm. this was well because this famously came up, and you gave a lecture about this in Hillary's chart in 2016. Mm-hmm. So using the technique annual perfections, how, how old is Biden now? Do you remember?
1: He's um so I wanna say seventy-eight, is that right? Would that be a sixth house? Yeah, 72 is in there. so he was born in
0: 1942.
1: He's gonna turn 78. So he's still 77 for like a week and a half or something.
0: Okay. So what we saw then that is that we knew Biden was in a sixth house perfection year. Mm-hmm. Let me see if I can put this up. There's Biden's chart again in Sagittarius. So we knew he was in a sixth house perfection year activating Taurus and Venus as the ruler of the year. And what was important about that is one of the things that you can do with perfections is if you want to know what in that... Okay, so he's in a Taurus perfection year now and he would be during the election, but Mm -hmm. then later in that month on November 20th, which is his birthday, he would switch to a seventh house perfection year. Mm-hmm. So um, with perfections, for those that aren't familiar with it, we've done a bunch of episodes on it. So just look at the Astrology Podcast archives at this point for annual perfections and you'll see a few episodes. You just start with the rising sign. Whatever sign is the Ascendant is located in, that sign is activated for the first year of the person's life. Then once they have their first birthday, it moves to the second sign in zodiacal order and activates that for one year. And just keeps jumping one sign for each year. And since there's only 12 signs, that means every 12 years, it's going to repeat itself over again. And you'll have repetitions of the same planet being activated and sometimes similar events or similar circumstances coming up in the person's life. Mm -hmm. So um, when you do that with Biden, if you take it back 12 years, of course, then you come back to 2008. So that the last time that he was in this perfection, he um, became Obama's running mate, and they won the presidential election, and then Biden became the vice president Right, uh, 12 years ago when mm-hmm. he was under the same perfection. So that was an argument in favor of Biden winning. Mm-hmm. And then we also knew because I had famously used this as an example in my course that he was 29 years old when he became... Um, a senator when he was first elected to office.
1: Right. And it was actually considered kind of like a long shot, but he ran and he won during his sixth house perfection year at age 29.
0: Right, which was also his at return. And he right. was like super young at the time. He was considered to be super young for winning yeah. at age 29 at the time, so it was kind of a newsworthy event. But then famously, um, after he was elected, um, about a month later, he turned 30, And so he moved into his 7th house perfection year, activating his 7th house of relationships and activating that Saturn placement that's there in his 7th house as well as that Uranus Mm -hmm. placement. He has a Saturn-Uranus conjunction on his descendant. So it activated that cluster of of placements in his 7th house. And famously, his wife was involved in a major car accident, and his wife died as well as his daughter passed away. And his I think one or two of his sons were seriously injured. injured. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, and that was like a major event in his life, and he thought about dropping out of politics completely and not not taking becoming a senator. But then there was a few other senators that got together and encouraged him just to to stick with it. And then he famously did then become a senator and, and went to Washington. But then he would go back on the weekends or something on the train in order to be with his family.
1: Right. Right. So that was another time of the same perfection year and him getting elected to major office. So it was like several repetitions at this point. We didn't see things standing out as strongly in between, but I didn't really fully research that either.
0: Yeah, but but part of the problem for me with that was knowing like the 2008 one was a positive indication that Biden could win. Yeah. But what made me nervous about the first one is that was a positive indication that he could win, but it was also like a little bit of a could there be something negative that happens afterwards, mm, yeah. which in this instance would be in between his birthday on November 20th and like inauguration day? Right. And so that made me a little bit nervous about that, even though it it swung towards or inclined more towards a positive indication mm. for winning politically.
1: Right. And it's interesting that it's a sixth house year, because that's normally not like super prominent in the 6th house here. But it for him, it activates these really nice placements. He has an exalted Moon in the 6th house. The Moon is considered very well placed in Taurus. And then it's in mutual reception with um, his chart ruler, his ascendant ruler Jupiter in Cancer, which is also exalted. And Mm, so-
0: Not mutual reception.
1: Oh, sorry. Reception. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but he has these two exalted planets, and they're in reception, and so that gets kind of highlighted more than usual in his sixth house years. I just wanted to kind of put that out there because sixth house years aren't usually necessarily like all about career success.
0: Yeah, and it's like his lot of fortune is also there, and mm-hmm. it activates his Venus, which is in Scorpio in the twelfth. That's kind of Kazemi. It's it's weird because it's just on the boundaries of being Kazemi mm-hmm. and coming yeah. out of. It looks like coming out of a Kazemi with the sun, so you mm-hmm. might actually consider it to be. In the heart of the sun, and it has this what is probably the saving grace of his chart, which is that that ascendant ruler, that Jupiter in a day chart at 25 Cancer, is trining all of those Scorpio planets and really helping mm. to bonify and balance them out. Yeah, definitely. Um, Jupiter's at 25 Cancer and it's trining Mercury at 21 Scorpio and the Sun at 27 Scorpio and Venus at 28 Scorpio.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's also probably part of the reason that Venus is. Doing a little bit better than you might expect it to otherwise. Definitely. Um, so, anyways, one of the things that we didn't do, though, as part of our, that we would have done as part of our like due j- diligence if we were trying to issue predictions instead of just like do the informal work session that we did in September is we would have gone through and seen what happened in the intermediate years mm-hmm. every time he went into one of those sixth house perfection years. Cause right. there's a pretty big gap there between like 2008 and 1970 whatever mm-hmm. when he had that first election when he was 29
2: mm-hmm.
0: um because when you did this you did this actually when we well, we all did this during the 2016 election with Hillary's chart what we got was mixed results right where sometimes in she always she was going into a 10th house perfection year and in some of those perfection years she would become more prominent and um relatively positive things would happen at least in terms of political power like That was uh, in the 1990, was it 92 election or was it 94?
1: It's it's fading at this point. (laughs) I did that a while ago.
0: (laughs) Basically, when Bill Clinton became president, Mm. that was when she was in the same perfection year. Mm -hmm. But there were other years when she actually had a major loss. So I think if you took it back to 12 years before that, they had political power, but then um, were voted out in like Arkansas when he was the governor, Mm -hmm. they lost a major election and she was blamed for it. Right due to some stuff that she had done. So with hers, there was this mixed history of sometimes wins and sometimes losses. And Mm -hmm. so what ended up happening in that repetition was a loss rather than a win in 2016.
1: Right. And it's because the perfection years won't always exactly repeat. A lot of the same themes will come up, but the specifics will depend on not only your natal configurations to that house, but also like transits happening that year and so forth.
0: Yeah, like transits can change it cuz if there's like a positive transit going on hmm. that can offset it and indicate something a major positive shift mm-hmm. in that context. And but if there're major negative transits it can just completely throw it off and indicate a, a negative circumstance within the context of whatever is being activated. Exactly. All right. So that was another thing, though, that was another just example of how important perfections can be and how you got to pay attention to those repetitions because sometimes it's as simple as that with that technique is mm-hmm. if you want to predict the future, then you need to study the past. Right. All right. So that's perfections. Um, oh, yeah. Pre- perfections and transits in Trump's chart. Right. So that was a major thing that the transits we didn't emphasize enough but we had been you'd been paying attention to especially mm-hmm. his perfections this year because ever since his birthday um he has this year in 2020 he's been in a third house perfection year and mm. he kept remarking it kept coming up in the news over and over again how his third house kept being activated
1: right he had one he had a brother die early in the year um, which is a third house topic.
0: Right. So the third so, house is the place of siblings.
1: Right. So third house, I mean, looking just at his natal configurations there with the third house, he has um Jupiter and Neptune in the third house. The ruler though is which,
0: which is like kind of positive. It's good. Like, it's like, really like, good. Like, like let's just say yeah. that from the start, like that, that's
1: a that was actually a
0: positive indication absolutely. initially. Is like he has and that's because that's probably the best part of his chart, and that's probably mm-hmm. the most overlooked part of his chart. Because we often don't think about the third house as being important. Like astrologers are quick to jump to like the sure. first first house and the tenth house, right. and stuff like that. But because he has a day chart, Jupiter is the most positive planet. It's in at seventeen degrees of Libra in the third whole sign house. But the other thing that's really important—that again, this is something I started reflecting on a lot after the twenty sixteen election is that Jupiter's stationing. It's
1: stationing. Yeah, it's stationing direct. It's really quite good in his chart.
0: Yeah, so stationing direct and that Jupiter is also probably helping out some of the other planets in his chart in a way that's um, important and notable like mm-hmm. his Mercury which is applying to a square with it and um, his Sun to a lesser extent which is the ruler of the chart which it's trying to.
1: Right, and that was definitely a factor—the fact that he was moving into a third house here with Jupiter there, in a day chart and stationary, and all of those good factors. That was definitely a factor in my thinking um, that could be really good for him. Right. You know, but then you look at the rest. You look at the ruler and what's happening to the ruler this year.
0: Yeah. So imperfections. One of the takeaways that's relevant this year in terms of this example that always has to be emphasized is it activates the ruler of the sign that's activated, which is Venus. But it also activates the other house that that planet rules, which in this context is the 10th house of career. Mm -hmm. So it's bringing in not just 3rd house things, but also 10th house things. And then they're going to manifest, especially within the context of wherever Venus is located in the chart, Mm -hmm. which in his case is at 25 degrees of Cancer in the 12th house conjunct Saturn at 23 degrees of Cancer.
1: Right. Right. So the fact that the it's a real mixed indicator where Jupiter in the third is initially really good, but then when you look to the ruler, it's Venus in the 12th house. 12th house is more obscure. It can deal with things going on behind the scenes or loss. Um,
0: loss, illness. Yeah,
1: illness, hospitalization, you know, things like that, like things that take you away from everyday society. So, um, so that in itself is very mixed. The Venus in the 12th isn't great.
0: And we could see over the summer, we were noting already that he was having problems because we saw two negative third house indications mm-hmm. happening one right away one of them that his brother died his brother
1: died and it's a third house in the 12th it's
0: the sibling and yeah. sibling like loss of a sibling that's yeah, exactly. a really straightforward delineation the other thing was that his niece I believe Mary mm-hmm. Mary Trump released this like tell-all biography where which included I think excerpts from like a phone conversation with Trump's sister where she was saying a bunch of negative things about mm-hmm. him and third house and nieces, nieces would also be like a third house thing. It was
1: a secret recording.
0: A secret recording. Yeah. Okay. So a hidden <laughs> recording a of like a sister. And the sister was saying was kind of like letting out some secrets. Like one of the things that she said was that he had like cheated in order to get into college or something like that.
1: Right. And was generally just kind of talking pretty negatively about him in terms of his character.
0: Right. Yeah. So those were like objectively negative indications that we already saw manifesting over the summer fall. That were kind of like this isn't just Jupiter in the third house Mm -hmm. um, that are that are manifesting here, but this is something's going on with Venus here in a major way in the 12th house.
1: Right. Right. And part of why that was is because which I think I wasn't looking, you know, like earlier in the year, but then I really realized it later, you know, summer and, and onward is we had Mars and Saturn really just sitting around 25. Um, cardinal. And so they were both hitting his Venus, the ruler of his perfection this year, in the 12th house. And Mars in particular is going to be the harder transit for anyone born during the day. So, I mean, having both of those at once hitting your um, perfected ruler is kind of a pretty negative indication.
0: Yeah. And that's something in our analysis that we didn't pay enough attention to was just looking at the transits. Like mm-hmm. Honestly, honestly, just looking at the transits to mm-hmm the candidates' charts and narrowing them down based on perfections and based right. on paying more attention to the, the lord of the year
2: right.
0: and what what is happening with the lord of the year and is it receiving positive transits or is it receiving negative transits. Hmm. And it's like if you do that, especially at one point like we went through and we paid attention we, we tried to look at the um, like really quickly because this is at the end of like a three or four hour like yeah. work, work session, <laughs> we started looking through like the three or four charts for the debates. And we we're looking at the debate chart itself as a sort of standalone chart to sort of get a sense of, of some of the energy surrounding the debate. But it would have been more interesting and better and more thorough to look at the transits to each person's chart for each of the debates yeah. as they were scheduled. And we would have seen things like the trine to the midheaven and the the last debate with Biden. Mm-hmm. But the other thing you would have noticed at the very end of September was the mars saturn square was that saturn stationed direct right, in 25. capricorn at 25 yeah okay so that's like a thing in of itself and then mm-hmm. simultaneously um mars was squaring saturn mm-hmm. at from 25 degrees of aries while being retrograde Yeah, and that was going exact during that first around the time of that first debate
1: right right yeah, and that was just us a little bit, I and mean, we mentioned those. We just it's hard to know how much weight to put on them. Um, mm-hmm. We definitely were not thinking, I think, at that point about because it was also hitting um, Joe Biden's ascendant ruler, which is twenty six Cancer, and Tw- twenty five. Is it twenty it? five? It's actually
0: twenty five. Is
1: it twenty five? Yeah. So, so pull that up again. There's
0: the thing with Saturn stationing at twenty nine on twenty twenty of September, and that was the date of yeah. the debate, right?
1: I think so. Yeah. Um. um so Joe Biden. Uh, is it yeah, 25? It's
0: 2508.
1: Okay, cool. So, yeah, that's really exact, too. And, and that was part of what we were equivocating about because it's like hitting both of their charts, but it was Trump's perfection ruler. It was the
0: rule, Lord of the Year in yeah, Trump's exactly. chart, whereas Biden's. It was wasn't not. The ruler right, exactly. There. And
1: that's a pretty big difference.
0: Yeah. So, here's let me do for those watching the video version, animate the wheel and take it back to that first debate around the 29th. That is not it. Um, there we go. So we see Mars stationing retrograde. It's stationed retrograde at 28. So it's not really stationing that far. I was gonna
1: mention that, yeah, because it's basically hanging around the vicinity of his perfection lord like for a long time because it's stationed at 28.
0: Yeah, so here's the first debate. And it's like Mars is at 25 Aries, and it's squaring Saturn at 25 Capricorn, and Saturn is stationing. So that ended up being important, of course, Saturn stationing in his sixth whole sign house because it must have been right around that time that he got COVID mm-hmm. and got sick with COVID famously and then went into the hospital for, for like a week or something.
1: Right. And I, you know, I wasn't really thinking about his health stuff necessarily with any general chart. If you saw those transits in the sixth, if it were like a client, mm-hmm. I actually would say like, so be careful about your health, or if there's a pandemic going on, you want to be more cautious than usual about exposure because those are easily can go to like health issues well, in the sixth.
0: Yeah, totally, exactly, and that's something. Well, if you go back and listen to our forecast where we we did. Horoscopes in January for every single rising sign. I bet you'll, you you'll sure see us talking about Saturn going through the sixth house and just paying attention to health things right. and and trying to be careful about health with Saturn transiting through there.
2: Right.
0: Um. So I didn't get to mention this in the forecast last month because I didn't get her approval ahead of time. But I had a a personal thing that was happening around that time where I was witnessing a parallel event with a person with a a similar chart. Mm -hmm. Um, But my close friend and and mentor and teacher, Demetra George, was born um, not too far from Trump, I think in the same summer, in the same year. Mm
2: -hmm. And therefore,
0: she has the same Saturn placement almost roughly or very similar in some similar degrees. And she also has Leo rising. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And when Saturn stationed retrograde, in Capricorn, then at the end of September, right when Trump got sick, it was also stationing in her sixth house, right. and she had a major heart um, issue and ended up in the hospital suddenly, and ended up having to have major surgery. So she ended up also recovering from it, and you, you know she's she's in recovery and she's doing okay at this point. But that was a really interesting parallel seeing the news of like Trump with Leo rising having Saturn station there and having that major health event. And then um, my friend Dimitri had some similar chart placements also having a health event at that time. Mm
1: -hmm, Definitely.
0: So it's an interesting takeaway. It's also just a good lesson, again, where we get into some of these elaborate techniques like zodiac releasing and everything else, but sometimes you really got to pay attention to the transits that are happening during crucial periods that can be tough. When, for example, with Biden's chart, if you were just looking at that as the ruler of the ascendant, mm-hmm. like let me let me see if I can bring Biden's chart up again. Okay. If you were just mm-hmm. looking at that as the ruler of the ascendant, he was receiving similar transits to right. that. But it's once you layer in the perfections that you realize that this is a little bit more important for Trump than it was for Biden?
1: Exactly. yeah, yeah. so so that was important. Um, let's see what else yeah so he had a lot of Mars Saturn stuff this year. Um, I mean, I think one of the reasons we didn't emphasize it as much as we could have is because you know Trump has had this history now, and especially we've been able to see it very clearly in the past several years of things that would normally sink someone else or would be bad for someone else. um, he seemed to just like kind of glide through without as much consequence as most people would have,
0: yeah like a like a duck like water hitting the <laughs> yeah. back of the duck, it would just like glide off of him like right. some things that would. Think like any other politician or any other presidency, and so we had much more trepidation about like looking at individual transits and being like Mm -hmm. that looks bad. It's hitting his twelfth house because one of the themes that seemed to kept kept coming up, and I almost I found a delineation in the fourth century astrologer Paulus Alexandrinus once not long ago about Saturn in the twelfth house, and it was something about like overcoming one's enemies Mm -hmm. and nominating them or something like that that really made me think about that and. Because if there's anybody that we've ever seen, and if there's anything that we walk away from Trump's um, presidency with, and his entire political career, in terms of his astrology, is like needing to understand the placements where he was able to survive so many um, attacks and disasters and mistakes that that would have sunk um, anybody else, basically. Mm-hmm, definitely, and, and it must have something to do with. I want to say some of those twelfth house placements and maybe that Jupiter or something.
1: His Saturn is enclosed. In addition to Jupiter right. being stationary direct, that J- Jupiter stationary direct is also really already really positive in terms of things just going better for you in general. But um, his Saturn is actually enclosed between the aspects of Venus and Jupiter, so um, that that significantly makes more positive that placement.
0: Right. So Saturn's at 23 Cancer, and on one side is Venus at 25 Cancer, and on the other side is Jupiter casting a ray from 17 Libra to 17 Cancer on the other side of Saturn. So Mm -hmm. it's enclosing it between the rays and protecting it perhaps?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: As well as bonifying it. Okay.
1: Okay, so moving on.
0: That's a good point. All right. So those are some of the things with the transits in terms of Trump's chart that we saw. oh man, the secondary progressions. Mm-hmm. So we went through this more because secondaries, that was something I came out of 2017 is like for the greater part of a decade after I got into Hellenistic astrology in mid the mid-2000s, I just focused on especially the three techniques that worked really well to me, which is zodiac releasing, annual perfections, and transits. Mm-hmm. And those are still my core techniques. But I remember after the 2016 elections, starting to look at some other astrologers' predictions. And one of the things they noted, was by secondary progression, Trump's secondary progress son came up to the degree of his ascendant, and right. I believe that that went exact during the Republican National Convention <clears throat> that year in 2016 when he got up and accepted the nomination. Mm-hmm. And that was a really impressive indication to me in retrospect that I sort of learned something from. So this time around, when we did our thing in September, we we did start paying attention to what secondary progress stuff was coming up was going on. To see if there are any major ones. right? Because there is sort of like a hierarchy of like important secondary progress things. And one of them that's always been impressive to me that I never forgot because I've seen it happen in, in astrologers' charts, mm-hmm. I've seen it happen in when there's important turning points and other famous people's charts, is paying attention to when planets station mm-hmm. retrograde or direct by secondary progression as being a, an important turning point, a huge important turning point in a person's life.
1: Right. Yeah, definitely. And especially if they're stationing direct. That's even more so.
0: Yeah, I, I would mean, say. E- even retrograde is, is yeah. important. But the stations certainly...
1: are always important, but like if it's an additional important factor if it's stationing direct.
0: So the big thing that we discovered that's worth worth mentioning here is we found two planets stationing direct this year in Joe Biden's chart. And his secondary progress Saturn is stationing direct. Mm-hmm. And his secondary progress Mercury is stationing direct. Right. Which is a pretty, pretty big deal,
1: yeah, it just means that this is going to be a more important time in his life. I mean that in itself, you can't call the election over, you know, um, but it does mean that it's going to be a particularly important time for him compared to many other years.
0: Yeah, I mean, to give an example of that um, to give an example of secondary progressions, mm. um, the astrologer Alan White, when I when he had he had cancer it was like in 2011 and i went out there to see him for like a week and he was dying basically when we talked about his life and i tried to record and document as much of it as i could mm-hmm. and one of the things i noticed in his chart is he had all these planets stationing and secondary progressions the year that he found hellenistic astrology and it ended up being this major thing that sort of changed his life mm-hmm. and a good part of his contributions ultimately ended up being the ways that his unique role helped in the dissemination and propagation of Hellenistic astrology in this really interesting way that Dimitri and I have both tried to talk about and give him credit for in retrospect. But mm-hmm. that is a example that always really stuck with me about the importance of secondary progression stations indicating an important turning point and a pivot point in a person's life.
1: Right, definitely.
0: Yeah, so seeing that in Biden's chart, let me see if you want to Do you have anything else to say about that while I try to pull up the progress chart?
1: Um, I don't have a lot other to say about it other than, you know, that secondary progressions um the reason why I think neither of us look at it as much as some of the other things is they don't they don't inherently move quickly. And so much of the time nothing super notable is happening with the secondary progressions because they move so slowly. And so it's only once in a while where something like really stands out. You mm-hmm. can watch the secondary progress moon in terms of like background influences, but um by- which,
0: which by the way is one yes, of, one of <laughs> the things thing. that, that we did notice that came up is that yeah. Um, his secondary progressed Moon, it was squaring Saturn. So it was in Pisces around five degrees a, a few months ago, and it squared his Saturn, which mm-hmm. is not, not actually a great secondary progression, mm-hmm. but it also conjoined his Venus, secondary progressed Venus right. at six degrees of Pisces during all of this. So he was yeah. having kind of a positive secondary progressed Moon transit.
1: He was, yeah. So that is one where you can watch if the secondary progressed Moon is aspecting something else in the chart, either natally or progressed planets. Um but when something stations, that's particularly important. So, anyway, I, mean, I uh,
0: mean, that's a good point, though, that normally that's all you can look at is like yeah. secondary progressed moon stuff, because that's mm-hmm. the only thing typically that's going to move or do anything interesting in most secondary progressed charts anytime soon.
1: Exactly, because the technique is symbolic time a day for a year. And so, you know, you're progressing in, in that motion. Um, only the moon is going to be fast enough to really be doing a lot or changing a lot. So Anyway, so that's why it's notable when something else changes.
0: So in this we can see um, in a secondary progress chart, I'm just casting it for today, but it's all still relevant. So November 10th, we see Mercury at 24 Capricorn and the S next to it says stationary and it's on the morning star side of the Sun. So we know that this means that it's stationing direct. Um, So, Mercury is stationing direct, and then we see Saturn down here at five degrees of Gemini. It's also stationing direct. Mm -hmm. So, that was a little tricky because those are positive indications, but um, of a major turning point in Joe Biden's life. And this being one of the most important years of his life and being a pivotal turning point for him. Mm -hmm. But it's a little tricky because it's like that. That can go, if you're trying to call the election, it can go a little bit either way in terms of no matter what happened, this would be you know, um, the high point of Biden's career in some sense in terms of getting the first time because he had attempted Mm -hmm. two other times to run to be president of the United States back in the 1980s. And then he had to drop out and and failed. And then back in 2008, and he had to drop out even though he's later picked by Obama to be the vice president. But Mm -hmm. this time he actually succeeded in winning the primaries, was nominated by the Democrats to become the the um, presidential candidate. So it's like it would have been a high point either way, but now we know yeah. in retrospect why it's stationing is not just because he became the no- got the nomination but also became got elected.
1: Right. And that's the trouble in a sort of meta issue. That's the trouble with trying to call presidential elections oftentimes, or at least one of the major issues involved is by virtue of running or being one of the major party candidates and and win, even winning that you're going to be prominent and that's going to show in your chart it's going to show prominent time for you right and it's going to show that no matter what whether you win or lose so that's one of the kind of like confounding issues of trying to predict a presidential election or something similar to that
0: yeah definitely all right. So that was the main thing. I think we found other secondary progressed stuff like in the US Sibley chart and oh, yeah, yeah. other things. I, uh, do you have stuff to just say? About the, that? I was gonna skip it.
1: Yeah, only that the progressed Moon in the Sibley chart um, goes into Aquarius just a few days before the 2020 election, which I thought was notable. Mm-hmm. Because not just that it was switching signs, but it was switching signs to the same sign that the Jupiter Saturn conjunction will happen in the following month. And moving away from it means it's also been the progressed Moon has been hanging out in the same sign Capricorn with the really heavy Capricorn transits we've been having, Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto, and Capricorn, that really to me looked like a mood shift, a major mood shift. Okay. So that was a little bit of a factor in my head in terms of maybe changing parties.
0: Got it. Um so yeah, so that was all, I mean, there may have been other secondary progress stuff we saw in the charts, but those Biden's those two stationing for Bidens were the two main takeaways mm-hmm. of just re- reminding of those being crucial turning points, right. All right. Um, other things I've written down really quickly, Richard are just things they noticed at one point after we did our work session, but before the election, one of the things I noticed is we had looked at the inauguration chart. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't really look at it too much or too closely in terms of the transits that each of the candidates right. was having that day. Yeah, and I still haven't done, let's say, a full workup on this um, in mm-hmm. terms of looking at the transits. But one of because one of the things we did look at was. Um, that there would be this Mars, this really close Mars Uranus conjunction in yes. Taurus at six degrees of Taurus on Election Day, and that Taurus is also the rising sign.
1: An inauguration. Yeah, inauguration there. day. Sorry, um,
0: inauguration day, and that's not like a great indication. It's also like squaring the pileup of stellium of Aquarius planets at the Sun at 0 Aquarius, and Saturn at 3 Aquarius, and Jupiter at 7 Aquarius, and Mercury at 18 Aquarius. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a lot of stuff there to talk about that we're not going to go into here about the inauguration chart and different things. But one of the things I started thinking about in retrospect leading up to election day was I realized that Mars-Uranus conjunction, um, if Trump has Taurus rising, or if Trump has Leo the rising, rising yeah. then Taurus is Trump's 10th whole sign house of career. Yes. Of, of career and social standing and mm-hmm. reputation and everything else. And that yeah. means that Mars Uranus conjunction is happening in his 11th house of career and reputation 10th on 10th house, tenth house of, yeah. of career on Inauguration Day. Yes. Which, at the most like simple, because he has, especially because he has a day chart, is like, Getting fired, basically, yeah. it's like it's like a, it's a, like a sudden, separation yeah. or an unexpected disruption mm-hmm. and sort of like severing that's not experienced very well in terms of one's career.
1: Yeah, basically, I mean, even Mars just going through the tenth whole sign house in a day chart is like m- more negative experiences with regard to career at that time. Sure. Um, and so, especially the Mars and Uranus, such a close conjunction, it's like a uh, yeah, a sudden separation.
0: It's like. There's other ways that that could have worked out. yes, certainly, like other yes. manifestations of that transit that he could have had and that I'm sure he's had at other points when Mars has gone through Taurus, right. But I think it's just an interesting takeaway, assuming that that's what happens now, given the current trajectory of things that on that day in like January of January 20th of 2020, that he's he's like losing his job rather than keeping it mm-hmm. and at a, at a very, very simplistic level. Mars going through your 10th house at that time and conjoining Uranus is symbolically pretty fitting for that. Right. Yeah. All right. So that was a side thing. Other tangential charts for candidates or anything else that we noticed that was relevant? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. I had looked at, I mean, this sounds kind of silly, but because there are so few time charts, I had noticed of all of the family members of Trump, Tiffany Trump had in a birth time a time chart um at least as reported from the news um it was rounded to 10 minutes so it could be like um you know slightly off but mm-hmm. anyway she's the one that has a birth time and so i looked at that just to see you know if anything popped out and so she was moving into a fourth house perfection year the fourth house does um speak to family parents in particular can go in the fourth house so home family parents and
0: yeah i mean tradition for like you know only like two past 2000 years or so <laughs> Astrologers have, have put a parents in the fourth house, right. especially the father. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So um so she was moving into a fourth house perfection year turning twenty-seven. Um, just a little bit before I want to say like mid-October. I'm forgetting her exact birthday, but it yeah. was like soon before the election.
0: But her, her birthday is in October. Yeah, it's okay. October. So, so it switched right before election mm,
1: day. Yeah, like I want to say mid-October. So then she moved into a fourth house perfection year, meaning those topics are highlighted that year. And it's Aries. She's Capricorn rising, unless the time is like very off. Um, If it was like nine or 10 minutes earlier, could be different rising sign. But in any case, Capricorn rising, um, Aries fourth whole sign house, that's where the Mars retrograde is happening. Mars stations direct on November 13th, 14th, mid November here. And so the fact that she has a day chart Mars stationing direct in the fourth Holstein house during a fourth house perfection year is kind of notable in terms of something potentially challenging happening with regard to parents. Now, again, that's another similar thing where it could be it could be experienced with different specifics, like your relationship with your parent, for instance, versus something actually happening with your parent. But that is some, one way it can go is something negative happening for your parent
0: at that yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, that's the most simple and basic and straightforward. And that's what, what we're trying to highlight here with some of these is sometimes there's really basic and straightforward and simple delineations that we can take from some of these as examples for the future. But in her case, um, switching into a fourth house perfection year parents becoming a greater part of the focus um, and transiting Mars stationing direct in her fourth house. She's also like a day chart, I think. She
1: has a day chart. So in her fourth house in a day chart. And her IC, if her time is correct, is 15 Aries, which is the exact degree of Mars stationing direct, which is why I was even noting this, you know, because Mm. it was so was really sticking out. It was the kind of thing I was looking to see if anything was sticking out and that does. And I I saw that about a year ago or something when I was kind of looking through different charts. Mm. And I was like, well, this is pretty tangential, you know. It's like it's one of his kids' charts and it's not even a kid who's particularly close to him most of the time, but but but,
0: but she has been. That's she has been funny recently. is yeah. that she in the she wasn't as much in the 2016 campaign, but right. in 2020 she has actually played a much larger role and I think spoke at the RNC. She or did. Something.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she has more recently. But I mean in a general sense of her usual relationship with him, it seems like she's not as close either geographically or otherwise, you know.
0: Yeah. She's his, his youngest daughter who was born in the nineties. Um so that's interesting. So just another example um lesson from that. Is partially that sometimes you can see events happening in a person's life by looking at the charts of those around them, Mm -hmm. and that can be another indirect access point for trying to predict the future. Exactly. Um, it's funny in my in my book, I think I used an example of like a fourth house perfection just to talk about there can be other manifestations, but of a guy that went into a fourth house perfection year, and then Mars went in and conjoined his IC in the fourth whole sign house. So very similar to what's happening with hers Mm. and his. House caught on fire and Mm. and it like burned down that night. That's crazy. So, that's a different fourth house manifestation, but it's just it goes back to that very core delineation principle of like something bad happening that's experienced as subjectively negative within the context of fourth house topics, which are primarily home Home. and family.
1: Home, family, parents,
0: parents, and especially father.
1: Yeah. Um, The other thing I noticed is I was looking at Melania's chart, and of course, she doesn't have a time chart, and you know, much like many of the people around him. um, But I did notice that because her son is about um, between five and a quarter and six and a quarter Taurus, depending on when she was born that day. And so Uranus is actually stationing mid January at six and three quarters Taurus. So it's stationing very close to on top of her son
0: and and somebody said recently that she has this Taurus stellium.
1: She does. So after that, she's got like Saturn at 11 Taurus and then two other planets in later Taurus.
0: Didn't Uranus get up to got 10 or 11 this year?
1: 1043.
0: Okay. So it got up very close to her So Saturn, very close
1: but not exactly. But yet. didn't go exact. Mhm. Yeah.
0: Okay. So but it will oppose her, oppose, or no, conjoin, conjoin her son in January exactly?
1: It, it will conjoin her son almost exactly or close to exactly. Um, but beyond, you know, right on top of that, that's major change with regard to either your life, you know, your life as a whole. It can be when Uranus goes over your son, especially by conjunction. Um, Uranus can be sudden change or radical change. Also, in, you know, this is kind of a holdover. But I mean, the Sun can also sometimes symbolize like a man in someone's life. And Mm -hmm. I think that that actually does still play out sometimes. And particularly I think in someone like her um, case where the man is much, much more prominent in the life. So I'm not saying that only. I think it's also really about her and her core life, but Mm -hmm. you could see it both ways.
0: Sure. Okay. Um, That's interesting. And so yeah, there's just additional things like that and just can go to show some of the different techniques you can take into account can can be extended just looking at other people's charts around the person mm-hmm. for indirect indications of is there like something that's going to be experienced as a positive event happening in that person's life or is there something that's going to be experienced as a negative event mm-hmm. to try to do the best you can to get an objective set of indications for what is the astrology telling me is coming up in the future.
1: Right. And see if there's some collecting in one direction versus the other.
0: Right, because ultimately you're going to get mixed indications, mm-hmm. because there's in anyone's life there's going to be positive things and negative things that are happening at any one time, and and sometimes things can be counterbalancing because because a, a positive event can come out of a negative event, and a negative event can come out of a positive event, and part of that is what happens when you get reciprocal positive and negative transits happening simultaneously. But if you have a, a large preponderance of stuff you start to get a picture of of where things might trend.
1: Right. And that's much of what astrologers are doing when they're, you know, looking at any sort of prediction.
0: Yeah, they're comparing multiple data points and then they're trying to infer what that will mean about the future. Exactly. All right. So Um, Let's wrap this section up a little bit just about by talking about techniques that astrologers used or have used. Mm -hmm. So we've already talked a little bit about the importance of using multiple techniques. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the takeaways for me that was from 2016. And I think 2020 has reinforced that because we've seen interesting indicators start to cluster on one side versus the other. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't over rely on a single technique. It's okay if you have that as your centerpiece, but so just try to be careful.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, at the same time, I also want to mention, on the other hand, because I did see some other predictions, and I, I do remember doing I did a survey back in 2012 of predictions and studied other astrologers' predictions closely. You also have to be careful because there can be the flip side of that, which is that there can be diminishing returns after a certain point if you're taking too many factors into account. Mm-hmm. And I have seen sometimes some people go kind of bonkers with using way too much stuff and it being um, just way over the top and and creating lack of clarity rather than helping to indicate something really strongly in one direction or another. So you need to be able to like weight your techniques a little bit as well.
1: Definitely. Yeah, and did you want to speak to some of them that some people use?
0: Um, Yeah, so I didn't look through them very carefully this time. there was one survey that was done so the astrologer Mark Cullen from the UK did a survey on the skyscript forum where he went through and surveyed some predictions that were made mm-hmm. that he was able to find online primarily from different astrologers and there was like um it was kind of split how many were what was the total it was it 50 total or was it 50 50 50. On yeah, each side,
1: I'm not sure actually. I feel like it might have been 50 50 in terms of not just proportion, but number of astrologers.
0: Yeah, so it was split. Um, I'm glad that Mark did it to a certain extent because I think the surveys are important and I did my own in 2012. So I support them. I didn't like, I had some criticisms for the way and some issues with the way it was presented because it seemed like his primary focus was just identifying. Who made predictions last time, and mm-hmm. if their prediction, what prediction they were made last, made this time, mm-hmm. and that seemed to be his primary concern. Um, but I think people need to be cautious about drawing conclusions from that survey because of the way it was done. It seems like there's a, a bias towards like Facebook astrologers, like mm-hmm. astrologers that he found or that contacted him through Facebook or through forums and things like that.
1: Yeah, not necessarily deliberately, we're saying, but just as a happenstance.
0: Yeah, so I don't know. I know there were some predictions, for example, from some astrologers on Twitter that were not listed there that were missed, so Mm -hmm. that it's not fully comprehensive. There's also one of my issues is because I've done my own survey back in 2012. One of the things I realized is you need to do weighting and you need to do a sort of ranking for some of those predictions because not all predictions are equal Mm -hmm. and not all astrologers took making those predictions as seriously and did as thorough of a job in doing them Mm -hmm. than others. And that's something I want people to realize because I think it would be a mistake. I think that there's some of those predictions that might have either been excluded or that would have been much lower down on the list in terms of ones that people could have taken seriously versus the other end of the spectrum is like, Okay, that person did a really good job. They were really thorough and they tried their best, mm. but they they came to the wrong conclusion and that's, you know, too bad and better luck next time versus somebody that just like did a blow-off thing and looked at one indication, looked at it for like an hour and then threw out like a single tweet or yeah. a short little video that they recorded on their phone mm-hmm. that was like a vlog one day really quickly and suddenly that prediction is supposed to stand somehow as representative of the entire astrological community and entire profession. Right. And I don't think that's right. And that's one of the issues where I wish Mark had taken more factors into account in terms of ranking the predictions and explaining you know, what went into them.
1: Right, and so we're not necessarily saying, you know, ranking in terms of each and every like one to thirty or something like that, or one to a hundred, but some of the factors that you might want to consider in terms of, you know, whether to weight things more seriously or less seriously in terms of where they're coming from, where each astrologer is coming from.
0: Yeah. So back in 2012, I, I outlined this in the survey that I did, and you can find it. I closed the blog in 2013, but if you go to archive.org, you can find it at politicalastrologyblog.com and the article was titled astrologers predict the 2012 election roundup and at the beginning of that I outlined some of my methodology for um, weighting and ranking the different predictions and these are some of the factors that I would take into account that I would urge people to take into account in terms of looking at some of these predictions and their relative success or failure mm-hmm. not just for the ones that were successful for that, that failed to predict the outcome but mm-hmm. also for the ones that were successful because it was like a 50-50 thing right so one of the factors that I took into account was the prominence of the prediction in the mainstream media, either by being featured or cited in a news story or an interview, because that puts greater pressure on the astrologer. Where it's like, if you're doing an interview on this, presumably mm-hmm. you did your work, which is not always true. It's not but always true. <laughs> it's not always true. Let's we'll say that, but at least there's greater. Um, um, not restrictions, but greater pressure on the astrologer to get it right. Mm-hmm. It's different t- for a person who just like posts something on Facebook and then deletes it after the election, mm-hmm. you know, a- as a private thing or a private blog, let's say, or let's mm-hmm. say they recorded something private, posted something privately and didn't release it publicly or something like that, versus somebody that gets up and goes on like ABC News and makes a mm-hmm. prediction. There's more pr- more pressure on them, and it's more public. Where right. the consequences if they get it wrong are going to be, you know, more embarrassing. Sure. All right, so that's one of the factors um, I would take into account in terms of ranking. Mm-hmm. Another one is the prominence of the prediction in the astrological community, either by being featured in an astrological publication or at an astrological venue, such as a conference. Mm-hmm. Similar ish, similar things there how eminent or well known is the astrologer who made the prediction either inside or outside of the astrological community while it's true that you know there can be people that are in the community somebody responded to me about this recently and was like well there's astrologers who are doing astrology technically for like 20 years that aren't mm. terribly good at it mm. versus there's other people who can be doing it for 5 years that can become proficient very quickly right. through through dedication and aptitude that's true but There's still a difference between, like, if Rob Hand, for example, gets up and makes a prediction, who's like a very well-known and eminent astrologer in the community, that's taken more seriously than if there's somebody that's just been studying it for a month and then Mm -hmm. issues a prediction, and that should be weighted differently.
1: For sure, I don't think any of these guidelines are foolproof at all. Like, um, but you're sort of supposed to think about all of them.
0: Yeah, they're just different things to take into account. And Mm -hmm. if any, nobody should take any one of these in isolation into account, but there's just different things that when I look through like a list of different predictions and who got it right and who got it wrong, it's one of the things I take into account.
1: Right, for sure.
0: So another one is um, how standard are the techniques the astrologer was using versus using non-standard techniques that are unique to the astrologer? Because one of the things is like, there's certain techniques like transits is like a standard technique almost every across almost every astrological tradition. Mm-hmm. But I saw some like weird techniques that in 2012 that only a single astrologer came up with or that mm-hmm. almost no astrologers used. Right. And the standardness or non-standardness is a factor because sometimes there's just really weird stuff occasionally in the astrological community, and that's not weighted. Usually the same as something that's where it's like every astrologer is using that technique and therefore there's a level of standardization to the interpretation.
1: Mhm, right? Like tertiary converse progressions or something.
0: Yeah, to the like vertex of the midpoint between like transpluto <laughs> and sedna or something like that. Exactly. And that <laughs> so that's like example. the one technique that indicates that Biden would win or whatever. Right. <laughs> All right, how thoroughly the astrologer appears to have researched their prediction. Like, How much work did they put into this? Was this something they put a lot of work into and effort into? Or is this something that they appear to have not just sort of done on the fly or something like that? Mm -hmm. How far in advance the prediction was issued prior to election day I think is a factor that sometimes can be taken into account. There's pros and cons either way because honestly now, like in 2012, we issued our prediction I think in April, which we felt was sufficiently far in advance. Mm-hmm. Once it became clear in the primaries who was going to be the candidates, we tried to issue it as soon as we could. In retrospect, though, I don't feel as bad for astrologers now who issue it later and closer once the vice presidential candidates are clear are clear or, mm-hmm. or other things have fallen into, into place. Right. So I wouldn't knock people as much for this as I used to, but it's definitely you know relevant.
1: Yeah. And it's relative to like April versus August versus the day before the election.
0: Versus like November second yeah, or something. Yeah. Because then at that point the, the polls are gonna be indicating mm-hmm. typically one way or another. Right. So so there's an issue where the astrologer could could get influenced by the polls mm-hmm. um and the and the sort of bias that can sometimes come along with that, which is part of what happened in twenty sixteen. Mm-hmm. Um, how far advanced? How detailed the write-up for their prediction was, and how much research they based it on is shared. Like, did they did they share their results? Did they show their work, their methodology. Yeah. yeah. Or they are just saying, according to my intuition, like yeah. Trump will win or Biden will win or what have you. Right. Um, that's kind of important. How clearly they stated their prediction, as opposed to either being unclear or hedging. You'll see this sometimes where people will hedge.
1: Yeah, and I think I mean I don't know I personally feel like it's okay as long as you're saying the degree of your confidence in it versus just like trying to play it both ways, you know. Like I think I think there's some credence to that, even though it can go in the direction of then just hedging. But you know, it's it's also true that predicting presidential elections is tough, and
0: and that there's conflicting indications.
1: Yeah, and so you can actually be like, I mostly think this way, but I still feel like there's some wildcard factor here.
0: Yeah, it's like you can say that I just I have this rule because there's some astrologers that will try to the they'll, they'll issue their prediction and they make it the conclusion so unclear yeah. that it could be read either way For sure. and then in retrospect like a sketchy person could be like I called it yeah, yeah. even though like what their prediction was was super unclear and they could have said that they were successful either way even if they yeah. weren't. No, I agree. So that's what I want to be careful about in that instance. Mm-hmm. And then finally, how neutral or nonpartisan the astrology appears to be in making their prediction. So this is a major issue no matter what in pretty much every election from both sides, which is it's true both inside of the prediction itself. Like is the person exhibiting a clear bias or a clear preference mm-hmm. that's influencing how they're interpreting the charts? Right. Or in other instances, it can be things that are around the prediction. Like, is some predictions, for example, are issued like on Facebook and stuff, which it is not actually great. I usually prefer people to write it on a blog or publish it somewhere. So it's true. more clear because Facebook is more temporary and ephemeral.
1: I mean, true. Although people do it everywhere, really.
0: But let's say if the person for the entire year is posting like a wall of stuff. That's um, super negative and and attacks and let's say conspiracies surrounding one candidate, and then they punctuate that with a prediction that the candidate that they prefer is going to win. Mm-hmm. That has less weight to me, and and mm-hmm. needs to be docked for points if they're clearly if their bias is overwhelming in some way their their predictive capabilities.
1: Right. And that's a little tough right now because things have gotten so divisive this, you know, towards this election in particular that that kind of has a subtopic which is, you know, oh, and it's not something that's you know you can quantify, which is just observing different people and going does the person seem to be able to even if they have a very strong preference because almost everyone has a very strong preference at this point. Mm. Um do they seem to be able to also Try to put that aside while they're looking at the astrology to see what it seems to be saying on its own versus are they filtering everything they say astrologically through that personal preference? Right. So, and that's, you know, that's tricky to discern, but if you, I think you can. I mean, if you're around long enough, maybe not the first time around that you see a prediction, you know, if you don't know the people, but if you're in in the community over time, you do know who's doing that.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things. As you pick it up, and it's it's something I worry about. New people coming into the community that don't know that, mm-hmm. and don't know the track records of different people,
1: right? And that kind of
0: so that leads us into yeah. our next discussion point. So, um, news sources and the role of bias. Some of the discussions after 2016 were about the role of like liberal bias amongst astrologers because there were more predictions for Hillary than there were for Trump, mm-hmm. and some people. Um, there were some like op-ed pieces by. I remember one guy that became a conservative astrologer, a very more outspoken conservative astrologer over the past four years who did a whole set of essays about um, astrologers being biased towards liberals. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that was interesting about this election was in some of the people that predicted Trump, now in retrospect wrongly, there was a big chunk of them that over the past four years have been posting pro-Trump stuff and, and very clearly have a bias. Or a political bias towards Trump, and then predicted that he would win, mm-hmm. and it turns out in retrospect we're mistaken in that prediction. So, right, right. while I don't expect to see this, if you know, it would be nice to see a sort of counterpoint to that at this point. In terms of that, can cut both ways depending on astrologer's political uh, predilections, and that's important to take into account.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, and. You know, that that can be a tough job too to fully set it aside. I mean, different mm-hmm. people do it better or worse, I, I definitely think. Um, yeah.
0: Well, well, right. So that leads to our other discussion topic, which is part of the reason this has become difficult is because people are where astrologers take in media and their political preferences sometimes is causing them to take in news and information from different sources. Mm-hmm. And if those sources are extremely biased, in one direction or another, that's going to create and a bias within the astrologer's context for the election. And no astrologer can issue a prediction without context. Yeah, like it's very important because part of what you've seen us doing in some of these things is you have to understand the trajectory that a person is on, both astrologically and practically speaking in terms of their life story. Mm-hmm. And then you take that trajectory and you try to predict where it's going in the future. Right. And, and that's astrological prediction in a nutshell. But one major piece of that is having a clear understanding to some extent of the person and what their life trajectory is up to this point. right? And if you're taking into account a bunch of news and information about that person that is biased, that is inaccurate, that is misinformation, mm-hmm. or like like conspiracy theories or conspiracy rhetoric, then your context for understanding their chart and their life is not going to be correct
1: right, and that's become a much bigger problem in recent times here compared to before this year, and you know we were talking earlier about the Jupiter Pluto conjunctions and you know conspiracy theories earlier on um this is of of course not an issue only specific to the astrological community. But it has particular bearing on how astrologers do their work and whether they have good information to do the work with.
0: Yeah, because um, it's going to affect your prediction. And and if you're taking in false information um, as the context for your predictions, then you're going to have a higher likelihood of issuing a false prediction because you mm-hmm. didn't have a stable foundation to begin with. Right. So that's going to become, unfortunately, that's that's becoming more of an issue because now things are becoming more fragmented. And now it's like there's a movement after this election already where some conservatives are trying to get on just conservative social networking sites Mm -hmm. because they didn't like how some of Trump's um, false statements about COVID or false statements about mail-in voting were being flagged by places like Facebook or Twitter as misinformation in the run-up to the election. Mm -hmm. Um, So now there's this push to go into these other sites, but that's... Not going to be great because that's just going to going to create more of an echo chamber w- of people reinforcing the same views, whether or not that's objectively true or not. And right. there's no scenario where being less objectively um, exposed to news and information is going to help you as an astrologer.
1: For sure, yeah. So that's kind of a long term. I mean, I hope it's not too long term of a problem, but it, I mean, it looks to be a problem right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, and then when we're talking about that in the conservative context, obviously that that can also be true in a in a liberal context as well. Mm-hmm. Like if you're in like a more liberal echo t- echo chamber where you're only taking in news and information, and you're not taking anything that's ever critical mm-hmm. of um, your preferred candidate or something like that, that's also going to potentially bias you, and you have to take that into account. So it's something that's yeah. important for astrologers, and we wanted to mention it here because it's one of the dangers that we can see developing that's going to affect astrologers' ability to make statements, not just about predictions like presidential things, but even about mundane astrology. I Mm -hmm. mean, some of the stuff about COVID and the pandemic got really weird this year as well and can affect astrologers' ability to accurately forecast that if they're not taking it seriously. If they're like, oh, this is just a hoax or this isn't a big deal, Mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to accurately forecast What's coming up in the future?
1: Right. And I mean, that's always been an issue that I think astrologers must have always had to grapple with in terms of there's always personal bias or there's always, you know, leanings and different inclinations for things. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a different level when it comes to do you have facts? Are you basing things on facts?
0: Yeah, and and I think maybe it was more of an issue in the past because of the huge influx of astrologers that came in in the 1960s from let's say the hippie generation maybe there was more of a emphasis of astrologers having a liberal bias in the past mm-hmm. but there's an issue now where in the past the like news networks and things there was more of a agreed middle ground there
1: was an agreed like consensus reality on facts
0: right yep. so now the, the consensus reality on facts is mm-hmm. breaking apart and people are getting split up into different echo chambers and that's um, creating more of a division and, and less of a consensus reality and facts, which means mm-hmm. we don't have as much of a consensus about what to talk about. Mm-hmm. I mean, even this, of course, we can already anticipate that many of the points that we've made throughout this episode, yeah, many people that have uh, more conservative or extreme conservative leanings, especially, are going to object to the very basis of many of the things that we're taking for granted as, as facts and news and information in this episode. Yeah, but for me, because things. Um, are breaking off. And because especially conspiracy theories are becoming so much more prominent, I think we need to have more of a discussion and being able to talk more openly about what's actually going on in the world as a baseline because we can't really have any discussions past that point. And that's one well, of the reasons I feel more comfortable about talking openly about what actually happened like in the past week, for example, right now.
1: Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, I didn't really want to get into political talk a while ago, but that's when things were actually more subtle differences versus now. And mm-hmm. now it's just like, let's just talk about what's going on.
0: Right. All right. So I think all of that's good stuff that could be coming up about the Saturn return of the internet, mm-hmm. which is happening when Saturn goes into Aquarius again. I think that's right. relevant with things going on. I think the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction. hmm this week is relevant to what's going on and so on and so forth. Ryan Butler, just in connection with this, had a good tweet recently on Twitter. He said, I think one question that is worth exploring more is what is the astrological industry's relationship with science denialism and misinformation and how can astrologers encourage critical thinking and lived experience without dovetailing into conspiracy theory? Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important point just to close out that section. is, And that's one of the things that I've been trending towards this year is trying to encourage astrologers Um, to be more critical in their thinking and to be more careful about the sources of news and information that they're taking into account Hmm. because that can really color your thinking and color your predictions and interpretations in a major way. And I think it's going to be important for astrologers to lead in that uh, to some extent.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think while I actually didn't think this was so much of a problem before this year, um and there are actually a surprising number of people in the astrological community who also have like a science background or even career medical background different things like that mm-hmm. that you know are not anti-science at all. Um it has become more of a problem this year than and it's actually kind of surprised me the level of that. It's not just astrology, but also people in wellness communities and different things where I think um the, i think one of the one of the cruxes of the issue is you know the uh, getting into astrology means kind of breaking away from a consensus reality which is like can this even work right. right and so if you're willing to do that you might have more willingness to question other consensus realities and you have to be really discerning <clears throat> about when you should do that <clears throat> excuse me sorry you have to be really discerning about when you should do that versus when you're starting to deconstruct reality, period.
0: Yeah, just because you're into astrology doesn't mean you have to divorce yourself completely from like science and rationality. And um, yeah, and I think that's really important for astrologers to remember and to mm-hmm. strive to 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 keep in mind.
1: Yeah, and that could be a whole other meta discussion.
0: Yeah, and it is. And I know we're mm-hmm. on a we're in a time frame here. We've yeah. got uh, about 15 minutes until we have to wrap up. So um, yeah, just being more skeptical and discerning because if you divorce yourself completely from any sort of objective reality, then your astrologer will suffer for it, for it. Is my mm-hmm. main takeaway that I want to urge people to be careful about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think that's still that's that's relevant now because honestly, yes. some some of the astrologers <coughs> that predicted a Trump win mm-hmm. because Trump himself is denying that he lost, which is is completely expected. Like everybody expected mm-hmm. that. That's exactly what he was signaling. He was going to do in 2016 if he lost mm-hmm. he was saying he would not accept the results of the election he was he said we'll see or if i win if i win i'll yeah. accept it and, and yeah. of course when he did win he did accept it but when yeah. he lost he did not accept it and he yeah. set up has been busy most of this year creating a set of circumstances like trying to undermine mail-in voting that would allow him if he lost to create the sort of conspiracy theories and the the sort of misinformation that's happening now. But mm-hmm. what I'm nervous about is that some astrologers have predicted Trump will win. You can see that their sources of news information are primarily coming from extreme right-wing stuff like mm-hmm. Trump because they're now repeating some of those same things and they're refusing to acknowledge that they may have gotten it wrong, mm-hmm. which... I feel for them because like four years ago, mm. like very openly, I got it wrong. And I feel for them being in that position. It's not a good position. I don't admire anybody in that position. So I sort of understand it. Um, but then there's a certain point where I think we'll see at some point seeing that eclipse falling in Biden's ascendant mm. on December 14th. Mm-hmm. And the Electoral College, that's a really good indication the Electoral College is going to vote then in his favor, Mm -hmm. the astrology sometimes is more objective than we are ourselves. And that's something that's important to keep in mind. Yeah. yeah. All right. So other things just to wrap this up. We had a whole section about techniques that astrologers Mm use. did want to make a very brief statement and not linger on this, which is probably for the best that not all techniques are as valid or equally applicable or useful in this context. there's some techniques that get misapplied within the context of electional of political astrology. There's some techniques that are not as useful, and there's some techniques that are probably just overemphasized. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally think horary is something that gets misapplied oftentimes within the context of political astrology, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm always surprised. Like I don't care if a person got it right or wrong. It's often weird to me the notion that there's like hundreds of astrologers that do horary astrology casting charts where they have no real standing Mm -hmm. asking what the outcome of the election will be and thinking that that's going to be valid. And I think that has to do with the misunderstanding of horary and the importance of the question being personally relevant to you, the person asking the question or the person who's asking you the question and I feel like we've gotten away from that in the astrological tradition even though it's something that's emphasized very explicitly in many of the older texts from the medieval tradition.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's supposed to be one of the foundation rules is like, is this a very important thing to you personally? Is it going to impact you personally? And yes, all of this would impact all of us personally if we're living in the country in particular, but I don't think it's personal enough to right. each and every citizen to yeah. ask to worry. Um, you know, it's supposed to be. It's it's kind of like a judicial astrology. You're making a judgment. That's what horary is. And so similarly with like legal things, you have to have a standing, or you don't even get in there. So it's, yeah, so it's, it's like that.
0: Like if you're Joe Biden or if you're Donald Trump and you're asking a horary question about whether I win, that's personally relevant to you, and that's
1: mm-hmm.
0: valid. If you're one of you know, millions of Americans or like hundreds or thousands of astrologers asking what the outcome of the election will be. Mm-hmm. I'm not as impressed whether you get it right or whether you get it wrong. Right. And that's one of the reasons why horary astrologers tend to be all over the place in terms of whether they're right or wrong um, mm-hmm. when predicting elections. For sure. Um, other things that have become this year even more sort of weird and seem out of place and I wish people wouldn't put as much emphasis on is the first vote chart.
1: Yeah, that one was really kind of messed up this time, I think.
0: So there's some for like when the polls first open, they'll cast like a chart, like an inception chart.
1: Like for like that midnight place in New Hampshire where they vote at midnight. Like a lot of people use that.
0: I think that often gets overemphasized. Like maybe if you want to take that into account as one little super minor thing, but even mm-hmm. even that like I'm not even sure that that's super useful because people had been voting for for weeks at that point right
1: right And this I mean that's always true, but especially this year
0: right. Yeah so neither- there's
1: tons of votes coming in before the actual official in-person vote right. And then there's the early vote. there was just a lot of it
0: um, And then there's there's one more that I don't want to go into as much like sure. yeah, I'll, I'll skip that one, it. but those okay. are some ones. Um, last subsection is just about prediction in general. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I was thinking about this in terms of this entire topic, you know, presidential predictions and what's what are the sort of umbrella meta topics or meta issues towards that. Um, so, astrology is often in the more in the public eye than at any other time during presidential predictions, and as such, people can sometimes take that as like the best demonstration of what astrology can do. But I think it's actually very much not that, mm. and that's partly due to all of the very many multiple factors involved in predicting something in a mundane sense for like an entire country, right? Right. Yeah. So I mean that's actually not what astrology can can do best, I don't think. M-
0: prediction or mundane prediction.
1: Mundane prediction. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mundane prediction. That's what we've learned this year is is astrologers in 2020 have gotten a huge crash course in mundane astrology and it's become much more important. And it was funny in like March, like all of a sudden Every astrologer is like in a virologist or something, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> in like trying to predict what's going on with the pandemic. Even though mm-hmm. this, is, this is brand new to many of us, and most astrologers had not done prior research into the astrology of pandemics. There were, mm-hmm. as we highlighted in our episode in May, I forget what the title was. Uh, there were astrologers mm-hmm. like Andre Barbeau, who had done a major research into pandemics and had issued a prediction
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, prior mm-hmm. to his death al- almost a decade. He died in the past few years, but mm-hmm. he issued a prediction like 2011, saying yeah. there would be a major pandemic around this time based on a lineup of planets, especially Jupiter, Pluto, and Saturn.
1: Right.
0: Um, so there's some astrologers that do specialize in that. But there
1: are, but not most.
0: Not most. And, <laughs> and mundane is a very. Big thing because there's so many moving parts and it's yes. extremely difficult.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, and so prediction is is inherent in astrology, but it's not everything that astrology can do. And I think that that is kind of like a misconception that can suddenly be put to the public forefront when all of a sudden all these astrologers are trying to make public predictions about the presidential election.
0: Yeah, and it's not everyone's specialty. Like no. most astrologers don't even specialize in predict- predictive astrology; they specialize in natal astrology and sitting mm-hmm. down with clients and applying astrology in a, in a natal context often in a, in a through character analysis and psychological analysis,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, especially right. most modern astrologers. But then sometimes they try to pivot to doing predictive astrology and, and that doesn't always work the same.
1: And that can actually be a point in your earlier list too in terms of weighting predictions is does this astrologer normally do predictive astrology?
0: Right. Or are they a psychological astrologer? I remember one prediction from 2012 where it was literally just like a paragraph, and it was normally like a, a modern astrologer, a psychological astrologer, and they just said, "Well, because of this one solar arc direction, I think mm-hmm. it means that such and such will win." And, yeah, and I ranked that one like super low because it was clear that that wasn't even their main approach to astrology, and they weren't taking that much into account. Mm-hmm. They were they were very much out of like a fish out of water trying trying to do that.
2: Right.
0: Um. So yeah, sometimes it seem can seem like the problem was astrology rather than the astrologer. That's mm-hmm. always annoying.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um. Also, it assumes everything is predetermined ahead of time, which is an interesting philosophical issue that everybody forgets yeah. about when yes. <laughs> election time rolls around. Is like there's often sincere, you know, heavy debates about that in the astrological community traditionally for thousands right. of years. But all of a sudden, everybody starts trying to predict the outcome of the election and treating really it like everything is predetermined ahead of time, which is interesting because I actually, philosophically, of most astrologers, have the least problems with that uh, with right. my, my Stoic background. But it's a funny thing that then. Gets taken for granted sometimes during these times,
1: right? Which is a really funny contrast because most of the time, many astrologers, especially modern astrologers, are very quick to say, "Well, not everything is predetermined, and that's not what astrology means," you mm, know. Right. Um, but yeah, and then we suddenly go, "Well, did you call it right?" Which means it's all predetermined,
0: right? Um, okay. So there's so many moving pieces; it's incredibly difficult to take them all into account. We've kind of touched on that. You you literally can't take everything into account. There no. has to be a point where you have a cutoff where where you just have to use this many variables and call it
2: mm-hmm. and that
0: and that's tough it means that that there's some level where you would need a god's eye view in order to see everything that's going on astrologically but that's literally not possible and right. so you're going to be limited and you're going to be hindered like for example in this election not having Mike Pence's chart we mm-hmm. couldn't we could look at one side but we couldn't fully see the other mm-hmm. so there's a there's a block there and that's just one sort of example
1: yeah, and I think, you know, thinking about the scope, like a horary question is like a whole chart for just one question. And an individual natal chart is a chart for like the scope of one person's life. And so like as you start going up, then you get the scope of an entire country or something that will actually affect the entire world. There's so many variables. And that's why it's somewhat easier to predict for an individual
0: yeah, so it's one of the reasons why predicting elections isn't the best test of astrologers, but mm-hmm. unfortunately also tends to be when the public pays attention to astrologers the most. Yes, which is always fun. yeah. Um, and when also when by extension, astrologers tend to try their hand at public prediction the most when, a lot of astrologers often aren't otherwise trying to make predictions publicly.
1: Yeah, I think if you're doing something like presidential predictions, you have to weigh your motivations. Mm. You know, and and yeah. that's one factor that comes in when everyone suddenly throws their hat in the ring is because they want to they want recognition for getting it right.
0: Yeah, the and they want they want
1: proof that they they are good at astrology.
0: The, the astrologer wants recognition and and the sort of glory of getting it right, and they yeah. also want to sometimes prove astrology right. to the public. Yeah. And that was one thing that was kind of freeing for me in this election at this point in my career is I understand that motivation, but seeing some of the younger astrologers trying to make a name for themselves doing political predictions this time around um reminded me of some of those motivations and, and also my feeling, which was different this election compared to like 2012, of what's what it's like not to have that, not to care, like to be established mm-hmm. enough. Of like, I don't care if I to try to venture that and try to make a prediction.
2: Mm-hmm. Not
0: having all of the variables, it's interesting to follow it, and that's kind right. of an interesting exercise in astrology and something to learn from, which is what we we did here today. But mm-hmm. it's not um, a necessity or something.
1: Yeah, it doesn't. Um, you are not required. If you're an astrologer, you are not required to make predictions about the presidential elections every four years in order to, to be good at what you do. Right. Just wanna put that out there.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, so it puts a misconception out there. Was that it? was that it in this section? Do we have anything <laughs> um, <laughs> do we have a more positive thing to end on in terms of prediction and the role of astrology yeah. or anything like that?
1: Um, I think it was more just like a meta issue. I mean, particularly, you know, that's what I was thinking of anyway, in terms of, you know, the fate free will thing as well as, you know, where. What is where does presidential prediction fall in the scope of like the entirety of what astrologers do, and it's actually not. We were kind of getting that in terms of it's not necessarily the best illustration of what we do, Mm. but it's not even necessarily like the most important thing. I mean, it's it's important, obviously, like how the you know presidential election goes is important in terms of impacting people's worlds, but um. In terms of what astrologers do,
0: I mean, what the majority of what astrologers do tends to be more limited in that it's worth working with a single client on a single, typically birth chart, and talking to the person and being able to understand their life. Mm-hmm. its entirety and ask them any question and understand the trajectory of their life. And then if you're doing predictive work from them, anticipate what's coming up. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, there's sometimes just a process of talking to them about what's currently going on and helping to contextualize it in the context of astrology right. or sometimes contextualizing their past or talking about their character or talking about their relationships and like all sorts of other things, because astrology is such a broad Subject that's Mm -hmm. so multifaceted and has so many interesting pieces, but that individual one-on-one component has always been the core of astrology. And while there's there's elements that we're taking from that to apply to political astrology, it's sort of a different, much more complex application. And um, yeah, it's just one small piece that happens to come up every few years and becomes and gets the biggest media you blitz because all of mm-hmm. a sudden like the media will start paying attention to what astrologers are saying and, right. and sort of feature it as a sideshow thing
1: yeah exactly and as
0: a circus thing and astrologers themselves unfortunately are also sometimes complacent or complicit in that right and um, using mm-hmm. using it to boost their own circle uh, their own signal which is right. you know there's pros and cons there's a level at which that's okay but um, it's not it's not all astrologers do.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I guess I want to say, you know, I was saying before too, you don't have to buy into that like because it is kind of like buying into a different slant that's not quite correct on like what astrology is all about and like, you know, something where you don't even have all the pieces that you normally do. It's not just that there are more variables, which there are in something like a presidential prediction, but then you can't like talk to the people individually, which you were just saying, you know, is usually a major component. You're
0: you're basing it only on like external reports, which may or yes. may not be biased about their life and the scope of it.
1: That, plus like, there's pieces that aren't publicly reported. And it's not to say that, you know, I mean, I want to be quick to say also that doesn't mean that you're not seeing anything specific and objectively in the chart. But again, it comes back to context. And if you have more information, you have more context about everything you're looking at astrologically.
0: Yeah. And one last thing I want to say to wrap this up is I do want to say um you know, a congratulations to those that did get their predictions correct. Mm-hmm. Like, good job, definitely. Um, you know, you won one. That's fine. You know, take that as a major victory, and that will go in your, you know, bio if you want to, as as whatever. If that want, if being a predictive astrologer, if you make that your main thing, so I don't want to diminish that in any way, and I want to congratulate those that did get their predictions correct. Mm-hmm. And you know, good luck next time as well. If you want to keep doing that. Um, because especially if it's something that you can build up consecutively over years, that be- does become more impressive potentially. Right. Um, but even also to those that got it wrong or that missed this one, it's not the end of the world. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're a bad astrologer necessarily. I mean, to be fair, some of you may be that bad <laughs> astrologers. I don't want to downplay that too much, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad astrologer. And either you'll have another chance, you know, again in the future to redeem yourself, if that's what you want to do, or. You can go back to doing what you do ninety nine percent of the time. Otherwise, in the applications to astrology that are typically more within the scope of what we we do, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't take it too hard. It's just a temporary moment, and, and everybody has setbacks, mm-hmm. and we'll call something wrong at some point. That's part of learning and growing as an astrologer. So just try to do what you can to learn and grow from this and adjust your techniques accordingly and and take it in stride and learn from it.
1: Yeah, and whether you issued a prediction publicly or privately, no matter how it came out, it's still a good exercise personally. Right. You know, as an astrologer to see what points, you know, you were kind of on target with in terms of the way it went versus like, you know, oh, where can I readjust, you know, my my gauge of how how important that factor is, for instance.
0: Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so that's part of what we've tried to do here in checking in from our little work session that we did a few months ago and following up in some of the things that we saw then that we now know in retrospect have been confirmed to emphasize and pass those on as part of the tradition. And then the other part will also be assessing some of the things that were not as useful and either to discard or to refine those things uh, going forward into the future. And that, my friends, is how the tradition grows and develops, and will continue. And has grown and developed for thousands of years, and hopefully will continue for another thousand years past this point. Mm-hmm. All right, I think we have done it. It is now our exact time. You have to run into a consultation. Thank you for Thank joining you. me today for this. Quite welcome. Um, good luck in doing that consultation. And um, yeah, this is a lot of fun. Thanks a lot for doing this. Yeah, for me.
1: of course. Thank you.
0: All right, thanks everybody for listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast. We appreciate you. Thanks to all the patrons that support our work here on the Astrology Podcast. We try to keep growing and developing and doing cool things. Um, if you want to listen to that other work session that we did back in September, then sign up to become uh, a patron on the ten dollar tier for the to get access to the Casual Astrology Podcast as well as many other recordings like that. And otherwise, that's it for this episode of the Astrology Podcast. So thanks for listening or watching, and we'll see you again next time.
1: See you next time.
0: Special thanks to the patrons who support the Astrology Podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons that are on our producers tier, such as Nate Craddock, Maren Altman, Thomas Miller, Bear River, Catherine Conroy, Michelle Marillott, Christy Moe, and Sumo Kopik. Find out more about how to become a patron at patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. Also, thanks to our sponsors this month, which include the Astrogold Astrology app available at astrogold.io, the Portland School of Astrology at portlandastrology.org, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs available at honeycomb.co, and also the International Society for Astrological Research, which is hosting an astrology conference August 18th through the 22nd, 2021. Find out more information at isar2020.org. As well as the Northwest Astrological Conference, which is happening May 27th through the 31st, 2021, and you can find out more information about that at norwac.net. Finally, the software we use here on the Astrology Podcast is called Solar Fire Astrology Software, and it's available through alabe.com, and you can get a 15% discount with the promo code AP15.